This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com There's been over a 20 to 1 return. If you had put that money into an S&P 500 and reinvested the dividends, you'd come up with something like $17 billion, but you think it's $200 billion. Here, yeah. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. These vaccines are highly, highly effective. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. They're really, really good against variants. Everyone who takes the vaccine is not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. Get your first shot, and when you're due for your second, get your second shot. Our key goal is to stop the transmission, to get the immunity levels up so that you get almost no, almost no uh, infection going on whatsoever. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. If you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized, you're not going to be in an ICU unit, and you're not going to die. If you are fully vaccinated, you no longer need to wear a mask. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. You know, we didn't have vaccines to block transmission. We got vaccines to help you with your health, but they only slightly reduce transmission. We need a new new way of doing the vaccine. The level of virus in the nasopharynx of a person who's vaccinated and infected is the same level as the level of virus in the nasopharynx of an unvaccinated person. Reports from our international colleagues, including Israel, suggest increased risk of severe disease amongst those vaccinated early. And if you look at Israel, mm-hmm. which has always been a month to a month and a half ahead of us, they are seeing 
a waning immunity, not only against infection, but against hospitalizations and to some extent death. The booster might actually be an essential part of the primary regimen that people should have. The plan is for every adult, every adult to get a booster shot. Uh, clearly one of the best investments uh, I've ever been involved in. just three guys watching youtube videos and laughing about it and for some reason hundreds and thousands of you want to do that with us <laughs> it's the rundown ryan's running late because he's having bourbon with a priest brother martin that's something you do regularly yeah you're able to make it on time what's up with that <laughs> what's with the, all these religious and priests drinking these days <laughs> oh my goodness hey slow slow news week guys uh the first video that i want to get to if it's okay with all of you is this idea that not all heroes wear capes I like the ladies too ladies can be heroes People are waking up around the world to the Corona-19. I think you can say that on YouTube now. You can say Corona-19. For about a year, we never said that, right? We said other things. Um, to the, you can't, I don't know if you can say pandemic or scamdemic. I don't think you can say those words. You can call it the agenda, though, COVID agenda. People are waking up to it around the world, except in the USSA. Don't know why. Is that Abbey Roast coffee that you're drinking, James? This is Abbey Roast coffee. Why not Mystic Monk? For all about the Mystic you know, I Monk. Ran out of, yeah, I ran out of Mystic Monk. Still waiting on my order to come through. So oh, um, yeah. I already got mine. Until then. You already got yours, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't choose the uh, two-day shipping. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, okay. There three was times the price. Shipping. There was two-day yeah. shipping USPS and two-day shipping FedEx. If you chose a two-day oh, shipping USPS, it was like eight dollars or something. If you chose right, a two-day right. shipping FedEx, it was like one hundred and fifty. So I, I chose the the USPS. You know, yeah, gotta have that, gotta have that itch for that roast. <laughs> I didn't know you were a socialist, brother Martin, with the uh, USPS thing. You know, I'm just poor. That's that's just it. <laughs> <laughs> but Christine doesn't think you're poor. No, we can't go there. We're not going to talk about her tonight. Too many times. Um, a little bit of humor to start off the show. This is. Uh, I can't really tell if it's satire or not. I think it's just a guy who's a, who is seeking attention. But this is your Dallas City Council meeting. Uh, compare this to uh, well, what you see around the world and Germans waking up, Italians waking up, etc. Hey, you gonna get Corona from Mona? 
Don't vaccinate. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. You got to vaccinate in the Lone Star State. Vaccination is so great. Vaccinate me all day long. Vaccinate your dad and mom. Vaccinate my body. Vaccinate me at the party. I vaccine drink. I love the vaccine all day long. I want to vaccinate your mom. I want to stick it deep in your arm. Omar, where are you? I want to vaccinate you, but you can't hear my song. Vaccinate me in my thong. Vaccination, right or wrong. Dr. Fauci, give me that ouchie. I want it in my body. Vaccinate me to go to the party. Omar is back. Vaccinate me white or black. Vaccinate you. Vaccinate who? Vaccinate you all day long. Vaccinate your dad and mom. Vaccinate me in my thong. Vaccinate the mayor. I am a vaccination player. What can I say? I'm the real round sayer. Prime time. Nine and nine. On the ground. All the time. I blow your mind. I spit the rhyme. I commit the crime. I'm always on time because I'm nine and nine. I understand. And I grind the shack. And I blow your mind. One more time. Vaccinate your mind. Vaccinate your body. Vaccinate your life. Even vaccinate your party. I love y'all. Peace. God bless. Follow my Instagram. IG. Your time is up. Primetime Stein. Thank you. Is this uh is is this guy the best troll that you've ever seen, or is he certifiably insane? I I cannot tell the difference. Wait, was this American Idol, or was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm planning on attending a city council meeting myself next week on Thursday night, and I don't plan on signing off. You know, hey, this is my Instagram. Follow me. <laughs> Found that under evidence of uh, predatory behavior, right there. <laughs> I think I think that he's a domestic terrorist, actually. I I, I couldn't help think halfway through that was like was his, his sweat like bleeding through his clothes at some point because he was like huffing and puffing halfway through. His, if he if skit. he did that at a school board meeting, he'd be a domestic terrorist. But I think because it's a city council meeting, it can be satire. They let it fly. Is that what the rule is? I I can't keep up with the new <laughs> rules of what's legal and illegal in this country anymore. It was changing. Yeah. <laughs> if he's pro, if he's pro jab, then you know he's not a, he's not he's not a terrorist. <laughs> hey guys, why are we streaming so late tonight? That's a good question. I'm tired. That's a very good question. You know? <laughs> no, you guys are dragging, and I'm tired too. Hey, let's have let's have a little pick me up from Tucker Carlson. So yesterday was Sunday. You may have found yourself on the couch, idly flipping around the TV dial, and if you flipped far enough, you could have had the shock of your life. Michael Jackson was on Face the Nation. Now, to be clear, this wasn't video of Michael Jackson performing his hit songs in the 1990s. This appeared to be a living version of the international pop star that news reports claim died of a drug OD more than a dozen years ago. And yet, despite those claims, there he was, fully, undeniably Michael Jackson, talking on television. How can that be? Honestly, we have no idea. We're not theologians here. This is merely a news program. We can only show you what we saw. Here it is. There's nothing more important for us to do than protect our Constitution and our democracy. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy. See, Michael Jackson, that was him. No Billie Jean, apparently he's given up singing, now he's telling lies about politics. Same man. If you've ever seen Michael Jackson, you cannot forget the face. Though, admittedly, 
He's had a lot of work done since we saw him last. I I mean, okay, it's an ad hominem, okay, it's funny. I don't know. People get upset about these types of things these days. You're not allowed to you're not allowed to tell jokes anymore, James. It's people take themselves so seriously. That that's a, along the lines of something I would have said, you know, as I find find it hysterical. I mean, every once in a while he starts uh, he has little openers like this, right? You never know what's coming. You're sitting in your edge going, wow, what, what's happening here? And then he throws a curveball and you're like, ha ha, you know, that's actually a good one. So this was actually good. Um, you know, I can't tell looking at the video if her eyes are actually, if she got a lift or if she's just drawn on the horrendous uh, drag uh, eyebrows there. You know, I can't tell. I don't know happening. what's going on with her either. I The woman's had a lot of work, but you know what? In her defense, she's like 80 years old. <laughs> I mean, right, and, yeah. she's, and she's the third in line for the presidency. But do you make so a, you raise a good point? Like you raise a good point, Mike. I mean, people rag on us all the time, traditionalists, whatever, not being able to have a sense of humor, being so rigid, et cetera, et cetera. But here we are on the rundown, always having fun, always smiling, always <laughs> laughing. You know, I think there was a, a wannabe Fox News Corporation that uh, memed you like last week or whatever. And uh, <laughs> possums came up again this past week on Twitter and we took their meme. Of course, they don't know how to meme. So they put the based eyes on you, right? The laser eyes. Uh, and every time a possum shows up, we, we put Mike with those laser eyes. Cause I mean, they don't even know what they're doing. Oh, here, <laughs> this thing, this same wannabe, uh, Fox news, uh, wannabe that has like three low info boomers that watch them. Uh, they made the following gif about me, Jif. Do you first of all, do you guys say gif, jif, jiffy, jiffy lube? How do you say yeah. that word? I, I say I both mean, gif or jif. Yeah, are we gonna go there? I mean, the, the jury is still out for me, you know. I just don't, tomato, I don't know. Tomato. I know. Yeah, People say yeah. that the creator of the file type has a very strong opinion about it, but you know. Once a billion people say it a certain way, it's kind of like, what do we care what the creator yeah, said? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I was. This was going to be my intro to the grifter segment, and I'll, I probably will still use it. But th- thank you for this gold. Boom! <laughs> Talking money, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, no, let's talk about a serious thing while we wait for, well, wait for Ryan. He may not show up. He may no-show us, and if he does, then that's okay. We'll have him executed at dawn. But uh, the Supreme Court ruled this week on a couple cases, James, that I think are pretty significant. Um, it involves the mandatory injection of a substance into your body and whether or not the Biden administration, or as I like to say, the usurper-in-chief, can actually mandate that for companies 100 employees and above. They tried to use OSHA to do that. And I thought actually uh, one of the interesting things that is cited in the court opinion is the Biden chief of staff retweeting a tweet that says, hey, this is a nice workaround. Using OSHA is a great workaround, legal workaround to get this thing done. Um, yeah, if you put out what you're doing on Twitter, <laughs> how you're subverting the Constitution, <laughs> at least six justices are going to take issue with that, James. <laughs> that was actually that's actually hysterical. And at the time um, he sent out that retweet, I was thinking to myself, oh, surely, you know, this is not going to pick up like it should. And I was actually astounded that it, it made it into the uh, Supreme Court. Um, so I was laughing hysterically when that came out and, uh, this was actually used against, uh, the Biden administration. 
so it, it was a good week to sort of uh, have a little bit of a cheer. Um, you know, we're, we're, I mean, obviously the uh, healthcare uh, workers are still under that uh, gun of the mandate, but um, you know, also it's it's good to know whenever you have ties with the government, Medicaid, Medicare, for instance, these are the uh, you know, if you're in a hospital, working in a hospital uh, that accepts Medicaid and, and uh, Medicare, then, you know, this, in fact, affects mm-hmm. affects you. So it's always a good idea if you're uh, accepting uh, public funding or whatever for, for uh, you know, whatever degree. It's going to come back and uh, ask you for a lot more than you're willing to give. Yeah, no, I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. It's, it's, it's such a mixed bag. Thank you, John Roberts. Thank you, Neil Gorsuch, as uh, as Deborah is saying in the live chat. Uh, if you're a healthcare worker, if you're accepting federal dollars, which I think a lot applies to so many of them, then it is it is supposedly a legal uh, thing. I, you know, we get a lot of slack here on the rundown because we say things like. Divorce from D.C., think local, act local. This really shouldn't have been a SCOTUS thing. But can we walk and chew gum at the same time, gentlemen? Are we are we at once able to say, Brother Martin, that, hey, I, I like the fact that the court struck this down, not in a 5-4, to four, but in a 6-3, to three, a little bit more convincing. Would have liked to see 7-2 seven, you know, seven, or 8-1 even. Uh, we know, was it Sotomayor who was like, human beings are spewing virus everywhere and thousands of children are hospitalized. Like she's literally just saying things that are not true. <laughs> so we know she was always going to be the outlier. So maybe eight, one was the best we could have hoped for with the screw loose on that one. But, um, but notwithstanding that fact, we got a six, three, we got, we got a slap down. If you work at Southwest airlines or Boeing or one of the big corporations, um, who is who has said we're not going to have a mandate, regardless of what OSHA says, and now they don't have to. I mean, can we take it? Can we take the win and be like, yeah, this is good. I'm glad that they ruled this way. But also at the same time, with the same part of our brain, say, Brother Martin, yeah, but also this was this was lame the whole time. It never should have been a Supreme Court thing. This is a this is a state issue or even a local issue. Absolutely. Um, like how you said it, walking through gum at the same time, in the sense that, um, I mean, we were all very worried that the Supreme Court had the power to let this stand. And that would affect so many people's lives. They would either have to take the jab or, or hold their principles, stand their ground, and, and find something else to do for, for work. Um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was a big deal. But walking through gum at the same time, in the sense of be thankful to the fact that this isn't going to happen. Be thankful for the fact that I guess this democratic system has worked in some way conveniently, um, not in and of itself, the fact that it's, it's great, but it has worked this time conveniently. You know, the outcome is in our favor. Um, it's, it's kind of like, like in basketball, I guess, you know, the, the foul era where the referee hits and it's somebody else's turn to be right this time. Somebody else's turn to rewrite the next time. Um, walking through gum at the same time is, is yeah, we can be thankful for it, but it, it isn't something that we should always be counting on and, and, uh, hoping for so. yeah i mean if you and i think the point here is if you're banking on the supreme court to save you from liberals uh that's not going to happen we know that gorsuch isn't reliable on family we know that acb and kavanaugh are not reliable on lockdowns or mandates we know that john roberts has never seen an obamacare bill that he didn't love 
So when it when it comes to the so-called conservatives that we fought for for under George W. Bush and uh, and uh, D- Donald Trump, you know, we didn't get the court that we were promised. And uh, I, I don't know about you, James. I sort of want a refund. I want my money back. <laughs> I was told that if we elected this man, that he was going to save us and he was going to change the court. I was told that ACB was going to be there for us along the way. And yet she loves lockdowns and mandates. Well, I guess, except for this yeah. one big one. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. And you guys remember, um, it was a George W. Bush senior who uh, basically torpedoed his own uh, nominee, uh, uh, Bork, you know, basically had him up there. And then people threw a fit on what would have been a great addition to the Supreme Court. And uh, ever since that time, I've kind of lost interest in what's happening in the courts. Of course, you know, I take interest depending on whose name is being thrown out there. But you do a quick research, you find out, ultimately, there's always a link uh, from the Supreme Court justice nominee that basically puts, um, you know, the idea of uh, having uh, someone with true conviction uh, ever being nominated for that seat again. I think Bork was the last person you could have actually lauded as a very good, uh, you know, uh, nominee. And since that point, it's always been, uh, you know, George W. Bush uh, George H.W. Bush nominee. Uh, and this is kind of, I mean, with Trump, it was no different. Mm. You know, uh, there are all these names floating out there. And uh, we, you know, there was a little bit of hope for uh, Barrett from most of the uh, pro-life crowd. Mm. But uh, as soon as we started reading about her, we just kind of realized, oh, you know, this is this is the female version of, uh, you know, the rest of these guys. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and, and Bork, Robert Bork has now become a verb. It, it is a verb to, get borked. To, to be borked. You got borked. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, yeah. Ryan, we almost borked you from the panel. There's our elder brother. He's shown up. He can hear us yet. Online. He looks a little, he looks worried. He looks like, oh no, please don't bork me. <laughs> I, I think he's there. Um, yeah, for the 30-year-old and below in the crowd, uh, it's a good history lesson, James. Uh, Bush 41 nominated yep. Robert Bork and then bailed out on him when, the, when yep. the going got tough. Wait, isn't that how Clarence Thomas got on the court? Same thing. Right. And that's – yeah, go ahead, Ryan. You want to say something? Well, maybe not. Uh, yeah, that's exactly how uh, Clarence Thomas got, got on. And I don't know – somebody did something exceptional – they found somebody else, and he's been the last person, the last true. Yeah. No, I guess I should get back. Leto has been good, but not as good as Thomas. And so right now, if you're wanting uh, somebody who thinks ex- exceptionally as uh, he should uh, regarding a lot of these issues, uh, Thomas uh, Clarence Thomas stands pretty much above all the others. I would even. It's add interesting to see was, Clarence yeah. Thomas uh, asking questions. Yeah. I, he, for like 20 years, he didn't ask a single question in any oral right. argument ever. And then as soon as uh, – what, what was it, Anthony? Scalia. 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 Yeah, as soon as Scalia died, Claire, Thomas is like, all right, I got the ball now. Yep, yep. <laughs> or he's got to yep. step up on it too. <laughs> right. So he's been, he's been a great addition. And, um, you know, I, I can't think – I don't know. I wonder if I've met him once in D.C. I can't remember. I, I know I met uh, the late uh, Scalia – um, and uh, those two men always ha- had an impression uh, on me. So it's nice to, to see Thomas uh, trying to step into that direction of asking more questions 
and letting people know he's not just sitting around being quiet. He's actually attuned to things that are happening around around the nation enough to ask questions that make people, uh, you know, sort of stand back and realize, mm -hmm. well, they, they have to be ready for a counterpunch, you know, because uh, Thomas is no longer being that silent uh, justice anymore. You know, since we're just four guys smoking a cigar together, we may have that history totally wrong. I, I, I think Bork was a Reagan guy, and I think Thomas, I know Thomas was a Bush guy. So right. I don't know That's if true. I don't know how that exactly went down. All I know is that to be borked is what we just did to Ryan. We we booted him off. <laughs> Ryan just got borked. Ryan has internet issues. <laughs> James is gonna Google it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know I am. And we're gonna laugh in the meantime, we're gonna laugh at Justin Trudeau. Look at this clown. <laughs> Please look to the back in the direction of the photographers in front of the flag. Hey, dude, how's it going? You want to shake hands? Oh, <laughs> nope. oh you met someone where? Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm here. I'm so cool. He was, I'm the, he was relieved. <laughs> I'm the PM of Canada, school teacher. Married to a seven-year-old woman, Aaron. Wait, wait a second. Uh, <laughs> That's the French president, Macron. <laughs> oh, so, so, hey, by the way, there was a point about a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, somebody did this, uh, this recap of all the world leaders in Europe, and they lined them all up, and it was like, Almost to a man or a woman. Hey, Ryan, they were all barren, barren world leaders. Yep. Like from 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 all of continental and uh, Western Europe uh, and the United Kingdom. Angela Merkel. Childless. They don't have children. They don't have an I mean, investment in the future. That you, they're making decisions. How can for. you lead a country in, in, for a brighter future, Ryan? Like, dude, Ryan, would you trust a world leader who has no children, no skin in the game for the next generation? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Um, because somebody who has no children whatsoever, I mean, obviously you got your example, somebody who's infertile, whatever, the, 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 you know, things that are, you know, different than these people, because these people don't have that problem. These people are people who consciously chose to have pets rather than kids. These are the people that chose to say that, yeah, we, we, we want to help the planet, so we're not going to have kids. We're going to be, you know, better than that. They don't know what it's like to raise a new life, bring it into this world, educate, train, deal with the suffering that comes with dealing with this, this, this little thing that, uh, as it's growing up, is trying to figure out what it's supposed to do and goes through the house breaking your stuff. Uh, <laughs> taking off its diaper and it's celebrating getting poop everywhere it's like i know that's the life of families my, that's my what really happens in the real this. world we were just talking about this because uh moments before the show started we had the baby to sleep and we were just we were conferring about you know family rtf family affairs and the, the two-year-old burst into our room and we try we try to have this rule where like you don't burst into the room but two-year-olds don't respect certain rules <laughs> and we we're like, hey, shh, the baby's asleep. The baby's asleep. And what's so remarkable about having a baby in the house is that the two-year-old recognizes this is where they emerge from their uh, uh, natural-born innate selfishness. They realize that someone more important 
is around than he. And mm-hmm. he says, oh, ah, oh. And he kind of like calms down. He's like, oh, he starts tiptoeing. It's really cute. Um, I told her, like, when we have our last child, and, and if we think this is the last child, we should go, like, rent a baby when we <laughs> when that last one's two so that they don't become, you know, like the <laughs> like the little selfish. Well, maybe maybe one, one of your kids by then has is, is gotten married and had a child themselves, so you have grandchildren. Yeah, yeah um, that's true. A that's buddy true. of mine, his wife, when they had their first, her mother – had her last at the same time so that um and actually uh, my buddy's his daughter was born before his mother-in-law's uh now cousin i guess or nephew was born so that you have the, this kind of confluence in the ages and they used to happen normally actually <laughs> uh that type of thing right. but it's, it's absolutely unheard of in modern suburban life and american life your nuclear family of two children and you don't have anything more than that but that that's that's reality in in the old world and that there's the thing is that you're naturally dealing with younger children you learn that it's not all about you and that's yeah. one of the problems yeah. is that people think everything's about them when you have your nuclear family so-called of um, one and two kids right. maybe three at the very most and now it's time to get that depo shot in there so you don't have any more and that's the way most people work and the reality is that that's not normal actually even though it's normal in our society, when you have lots of children and you have lots of um, you know interaction between the age gaps and the age generations and you're homeschooled, you actually learn social skills better than you'll ever learn it in a public school in your aggregated social age where you're only within this group. The whole notion of like teenage culture, childhood, um, that's all a creation of modern life that didn't used yeah. to exist. You get yeah, the hard yeah. knocks of life early. You're, you're the baby of the family, and everything you do is like, oh, how cute. Yeah, no, I, in Christendom, there no, were reigning monarchs at like cute. 16, okay? That, I mean, right, just, yeah. and, now, and now they keep wanting to push it off with Obamacare. Now you're on your parents' uh, Obamacare till you're 26 years old. Give me a freaking break. When they were advertising this thing, there's Ryan taking another hit live on YouTube. <laughs> Total king. It's a total king move. <laughs> it ain't white. When they the were advertising Obamacare, the they had like millennials in pajamas in their parents' basement being like, sign up for Obamacare. I mean, it's so pathetic. Yeah. Now and now they're saying, James, with the new side with the emerging science, science was always the god. It just became it just sort of like uh became incarnate uh with COVID. Uh, but but the first person of the unholy trinity of the scientist God uh, was was always there, and and what he was telling us uh, just just a few years ago was that well the the male brain doesn't even really develop until you're thirty, so you can't even be held responsible for decisions that you make until you're thirty <laughs> years thirty years old. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well that's like the people that that, that asked um regarding abortion and uh, in, in the in the fetus inside the womb it's like well it's not viable it's like well what do you, what do you consider viability oh being completely independent of, of your parents like well when do you consider that to be like 22 23 now 30 like when, when does that happen so you can abort somebody when they're like 16 years old 17 years old 20 years old like i have to i have no to sense. do a full stop here i have to do a full stop are there two people in our live chat right now that just got married to each other? Did they meet in the in the RTF live chat? <laughs> Are they, is this a rundown couple? 
Mrs. Bean, this is real. If you married this guy, KMO, if you guys are newlyweds, I need to know it. Somebody please verify in the live chat while we're talking. Thank you very much. Thank you in advance. Hey, Ryan, I want you to get I want you to get the last word in. We were just bashing the Supreme Court. We were saying, okay, good. It's nice that we got a 6-3 striking down OSHA. It stinks that they upheld the illegal thing on, on hospitals or whatever. We can think both of those things while at the same time understanding that this never should have gone to the Supreme Court. This whole thing was a hoax. This whole thing is illegal, that it should have been a state's rights thing. But we can at least say, hey, you know, that a boy, you could have oppressed us and you declined to do so, or at least largely for 100 million people. There are still millions of people who in the the hospitals who are going to be oppressed. Uh, What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, I don't know that absolutely there's a conspiracy going on in terms of Oh yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll do this one thing so they won't pay attention to the other thing we did, but and I haven't read the legal opinion so I can't comment on legal grounds on that subject. But I can tell you the effects, and these are the effects on the medical opinion. Obviously, the OSHA one you saw the the Brandon administration get out there saying, "Oh yeah, we want you to all you employers to continue to push for this, even though the Supreme Court struck it down." But with the medical side of it all, now you've got this. You put in a precedent that you can demand that healthcare workers, because it's necessary, supposedly, as an emergency, they have to get this jab, even though it's based on completely nothing, and there's no rational basis for it. As we know, as the COVID narrative continues to break down, as it is now a pandemic of the jabbed, we know that mm-hmm. it, this thing isn't saving you. But now you have to get this to work in hospitals. And they're, they're, what you're basically doing is setting the precedent is whenever the emergency is big enough, the government can mandate you put something in your body irrespective of what it is in your own personal matter or even the facts of the matter, as long as the government is determined for whatever reasons that might be fallible that this is necessary for you. And what you've basically al- allowed there, you set the principle for forced birth control, mm-hmm. forced abortion, mm-hmm. forced euthanasia forced medical treatment of whatever sorts, even things like uh, crackpot medical things, like some doctors like, oh, we should put statins in the water because that'll help with uh, stopping heart attacks because of the the ridiculous nonsense that statin drugs are actually good for you. They're not in any respect. Uh, There's no reason to ever take statins, by the way. Um, But, you know, the idea, we're going to put this in the water because that'll help everyone with heart problems. You could put any medication in the water because supposedly that will help the population. And so likewise, we can put sterilants in the water because this is going to help everyone. It goes in. Basically, you've laid the foundation to go full out dystopian on everything. Yeah. Because we decided. But you you realize you just you sound like a conspiracy theorist. When you say that, and people are going <laughs> to write you off. People are going to say you took your tin foil off your router and put it on your head. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like when I was eight years old, my Yamaka, you know, the tin foil hat now takes its place. But um, yeah, but that's that's exactly what it is, though, it, it, because you've laid the foundation. When the government can determine that this class of people needs this medical care for this, you know, for whatever we've decided. Regardless of any rational basis of it, you've basically laid the principle the government can mandate any health care. And that's what it comes down to. And so it might be health providers for now, 
And because the, 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 the thing with the OSHA is just window dressing. That's just, yeah, these private businesses, they, they, you know, they don't have to do this because, but anyone who takes Medicare, they have to. What happens when they come in and nationalize the health system, which they will, and they might do it through various legal means that will escape the ways that's been fought before. Because um, yeah. I did get pushback. I put that on Twitter. I put a thread on that, like a three post thread on that where you know, I basically predicted the government will come in and nationalize the healthcare system. And I had somebody who is experienced in healthcare to challenge me on that. And I respect the guy. Uh, what's his handle? Aquinas Bear, I, I forget. Good guy, actually, in real life. And, um, you know, and he has experience in healthcare. And he challenged me on that. I said, the thing is, at this point, the, the hospitals are suffering so bad and their staffing issues that anything will come to pass. And, and I don't know if he agrees with me on that. We'll see what happens in the future. But I, I do formally predict they will nationalize the healthcare system. And once they do, everything is what the government says it is and in terms of healthcare. You're going to be on this drug because we said you're going to take it. You're going to get yeah. your depot shot because we said you're well, going to get was, it. Look at women going was, in the military. In, it, in 2009, when Obamacare passed and uh, Weinbach's Pelosi famously said, uh, we have to pass it to know what's going to be in it. Right. Suddenly, you know, we've all heard that, that we've all heard that, that phrase, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, well, you're darn scooting that. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm now my brother's keeper because now I got to pay for your first world problems. I have to right. pay for your adult onset diabetes because you like the McDonald's extra large French fries too much, buddy. I am and here's now the your keeper. Thing. I have not so, been in the hospital as a patient in since probably uh, 1998, 1996 was the last time I was ever in the hospital as a patient for any reason. And so it's like, so I've taken care of my health for mm -hmm. all these years. Uh, what are we going on? 25 years and 26 years. And now you're going to say, well, you were irresponsible because you didn't get what we thought you should get. It's like, what about all the 25 years I've not taken up your freaking house hospital beds? And I get exactly. hit and that, and and that's by the a thing. drunk driver coming from a thing. politician's maskless party. And now I can't get a hospital bed because I'm not jabbed. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, uh, the, the words I want to say, I can't say uh, on, on a family show. <laughs> I know, words, it's a family but, um, show, but it's like, it's, I mean, doesn't that, James, when you think about the incentives and the disincentives and the perverse incentives, now all of a sudden, you know, when, when uh, I forget who it was, was it little Mike Bloomberg or the guy before him that was like banning extra large sodas in New York City? I was thinking to myself, I, I, all, in all honesty, I was thinking to myself, you know what? Since I got to pay for everyone's diabetes, take the sodas away. Take take the sodas away from people. I'm fine with that because I am now smoking. invested in their health. <laughs> right. You, you know, they've created a situation which is really uh, laughable. But let's go back to Obamacare, right? So we had Obamacare in uh, 2009. And people were saying at the time, you know, everybody, everybody has, you know, you can, uh, you don't have to be on this. Well, it was, what was Obama's favorite line? You know, if you have your health care, you can keep it. And of course, that turned out to be a lie. Uh, they were forcing anybody without health care into a system. And so that's exactly what, what happened. And, you know, for me, I, at the time, actually, I, I belonged to um, this uh this uh, medical group, I, I, I suppose, and wasn't really a, it was a health sharing uh, group. So I, I could use that 
to sort of dance around having mm -hmm. having health care. Right. And even, even now, that's still a very viable issue for people who want to get around being taxed at the end of the year for not having insurance. And so this has been a way for them to slowly make their way, just as Ryan was saying, into being being in that arena where uh, forcing us into that arena where we can now tell you what you need to have, and what you don't need to have. And right. this mandate, even though it's, it was struck down for uh, for individuals, you know, it's still sort of um, something we should be looking at. You know, we, we should be happy uh, that we got a little bit of a brief uh respite from the actual mandate but it's coming back again it's you know it's going to come back forceful oh and that's you, what they're yeah. doing that's yeah. what they're doing right right i mean respite. yeah that's right that's right you know and and that's this is how stockholm syndrome works this is how yeah. mass psychosis works brother martin they pummel you they pummel you they pummel you and they give you a win because they plan on yanking the chain a little bit anyway so they give you a partial win. They say, okay, well, if you're not a nurse or a doctor, then I guess we can't make you take this injection right now. But we certainly have the ability to do that if you're a doctor or a nurse because we say it's really important. And therefore, anything we say is really important down the line is going to be our avenue of attack. Exactly. And I think Ryan hit the nail on the head, too, about forced abortions because they could also force – well, they, they have been doing this um, previously, forcing doctors to participate in abortions or giving the, the plan B pill or whatever if uh, something com comes in. Um, it, it, it's, it's realistic in that the government feels a, a certain control over a certain uh, occupation to do whatever they want to do. Um, I mean, the partial win, we, we spoke – I think the first time we spoke about it was in regards to Simona Pontificum, which that will probably hit the news this week, too. Uh, partial wins all over the place, all over the place. Um, but no, we need to pray, know who we are as Catholics, know what our principles are, and stand our ground. Um, I guess walking true gum is it kind of pertains to this as well. Is that we understand that there's a convenient victory, um, but it's only temporary. It's only partial. Um, mm -hmm. it, we're not supposed to feel like you know. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like the the Red Sea has parted for us in a sense yeah. because it hasn't. Speaking right. of temporary, uh, temporary and partial, this uh, the rundown might be temporary and partial thanks to uh, the usurper in chief. Unfortunately, while our military is stepping up as they always do, there are others sitting on the sidelines, and we're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. Uh, he's calling on social media companies like YouTube, like Facebook, like Twitter, however you're watching this. Uh, he's call I'm pulling up my phone because I want to read you a, a paragraph from the CDC. He's calling on them because this is the most formidable we're faced. It's not the Nazis. Um, it's uh, you know, it's 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 not communism. It's it's COVID-19. That's the most formidable thing we've ever faced in our whole lives. Uh, this is the first paragraph data as of 12, 6, uh, 2020 conditions contributing to deaths involving COVID-19 by age group United States. For 6% of the deaths, COVID-19 was the only cause mentioned, okay? 
This is this is this is current uh current CDC data. CDC.gov for six percent of the deaths. Okay, so you're telling me that ninety-four percent of the deaths involved something else? Is that what that means? Basically. <laughs> Simple as <laughs> I, I mean, mean, mean focus the yeah. light yeah. on car yeah. accidents, or you focus the light on heart disease, or let's go even further. Let's focus a light on the 450,000 people that die every single year by medical malpractice. They go to the hospital for one reason or another, which they really shouldn't. And basically, the medical treatment they received killed them. It's called the Yambic death. 450,000 to 600,000 estimated per year. And that's going back to the 90s. Uh, people dying. That's more than smoking, according to the stats on smoking. That's more than car accidents. And that's a hell of a lot more than COVID-19. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that those are the heroes you're supposed to trust. The and, and granted, there's good doctors in the system trying to do their best to heal patients. I don't want to you know, uh, attack all doctors. I have some doctors, supporters and donors and other things, obviously. But that's not why I say that, because I've known doctors that are good doctors that really want to help people. But they're hamstrung. They're, they're tied up by the system itself, which doesn't allow them to actually heal their patients which wants them to prescribe them, oh, the latest pharmaceutical and call it good. And usually those doctors get out and find something else or they do the very best they can do within that system. But medicine is a groupthink industry. You do what you're told and there's a lot of doctors that get like a, uh, oh, two weeks of nutrition out of uh, how many semesters of general medicine. They get mm-hmm. uh, nothing on uh, any, any kind of alternative treatments to what they're being told. And if you dare step outside the mean, some guy is going to go and say, you got to get your license revoked. And we've even seen that where doctors yeah. who prescribe uh, the drugs we're not allowed to mention on YouTube uh, th- that are clinically observed. Unless we're talking about, unless we're talking about the equestrian sciences, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even though that drug, the drug we're not allowed to mention that the military said was helpful um, that was a Nobel Prize winning drug in 2016 for humans. And it was only in 2018 that they said, hey, this has a veterinarian application too for other animals which have similar respiratory systems to humans. So mm-hmm. why don't we use it there? And now all of a sudden it's re with the Twitter mobs get on. Oh, that's a horse drug. You can't use that. <laughs> um, even though that it was a, a Nobel Prize winning drug. It's a dewarmer. Uh, yeah, it, it's a dewarmer, okay? Yeah, that's not, all like conspiracy no stuff. On it. It's entirely natural, and therefore mm-hmm. the pharmaceuticals can't make billions of bucks on it. I love sure science. James, I, Ryan said something that we have not ever talked about on the rundown, and I'm so glad it came up because I know about your Gucci diet. <laughs> imagine, a, imagine a medical doctor for eight years going through intensive training residency school classes taking the mcats and not even spending hardly a week on nutrition not even a week on (laughs) hey this is how vitamins work in your body and how a normal human being ingests healthy things (laughs) like yeah how is it possible oh it's very possible you know right now it's uh I, i i know people who have medical doctors i have medical doctors in my family and so even right now, there's a disassociation with reality. You have people who actually go to medical school, spend years, uh, you know, working on becoming a doctor. And then when they get out, all they have to tell you is what the bylaws are. They, they have to basically sign all these documents. They, they basically, if it's, not, if it's not an AMA recommendation, 
then they can't offer it to you, you know? So instead of being, instead of being worried about actually, uh, you know, working with patients to, to, to give them to, to sustain their health, they're doing the very opposite. And it's something that, you know, people today, doctors will not want to look at health and what you put in your body on the same uh, uh, layer, you know? So we create different, well, you know, a doctor, you go to the hospital to see a doctor about, you know, aches and pains, rather than asking you what you're eating, what you're eating or drinking habits are, they're basically saying, well, here's a prescription to help you ease that pain. So you, you get put on pain medication, people get uh, now addicted to drugs they shouldn't be on in the first place. And this for them is a winning strategy. Of course, it's not a winning strategy. And so now you have, like Ryan was saying, 440,000 deaths, you know, uh, due to medical malpractice or negligence. And then what, what happens in the end? You, you, you tag on the deaths for the last two years. Basically, you get, you get told you need to go to a hospital because you have COVID. And then, they you know, you're, you're sent back home because, well, you're not sick enough. And then they force you back in when you're actually dying. Rather than giving you a dewormer, they'll now say, well, you know, sorry, uh, we're going to have to basically put this long tube down your throat and try to force you into a situation which you might never not recover from. This is kind of where we are. This is what medical... Uh, what medicine now has turned into America. It's let's find a way to slowly take people's lives and livelihood away from them. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's no, terrible. it's, it's, it's all politics. I want to, I want to sort of refocus this discussion though, at least on, uh, in terms of what, um, uh, fake Catholic usurper and chief Joe Biden actually said, Ryan. And he said that, uh, he wants to use, social media to make sure that uh, only true things are said by all people in all places and all times that no disinformation or misinformation is ever uttered by anyone, even inadvertently. Here's the thing. Lots of traditional Catholics put themselves out there as libertarians and libertarians love John Stuart Mill's marketplace of ideas. We say, oh, well, we have the best ideas. The cream will rise to the top. Everyone should have uh, the ability to say and think and do whatever they want, and only the, only the most virtuous things will end up winning. My contention is, is that we will – all of human history is sort of defined by power, and whoever has the most power makes the rules – and therefore, uh, what you're seeing on the left, which supposedly ostensibly stands for freedom of thought, freedom of, you know, to burn bras and burn flags and, you know, do all that, you know, and, and, and have as much uh, premarital coitus as you want. Um, that's the left. But the left also, it turns out, is really kind of authoritarian, too, because everyone's really an authoritarian. In fact, when you cast a vote, you're trying to impose your will on other people, on other citizens, you're here, you're participating in that. And you're trying to say, no, what I want should be the thing that everyone does or believes or says. So I think what, what I want to get your take on, we'll go around the, uh, the horn. Um, we don't have to call this the bashing libertarian segment, but the marketplace of ideas is a joke. Nobody really believes in it either on the right or the left or in the middle. So the only, the only thing that we can fall back on then is Catholic principle, which is, you don't have freedom of speech. You don't have the ability to, to, to blaspheme God. You don't have the ability to, to be wrong. And error has no rights. That's what we need to f- hang our hat on, yes or no? Um, I would say precisely in as much as, like, for example, is there such a thing as a free market? Uh, no. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And whoever has the most gold has the most power 
to influence the market. And so it's not just a mere marketplace of ideas. Now, you can make various arguments one way or the other. Libertarians have good points on in certain respects, and I respect a lot of libertarians, but the, the font from which they, they come from, it, it's the same thing as Rousseau. It's just Hobbes and Locke, which are the same thing as Rousseau, just with a more formalized uh, process, really. And, and that's really the difference between your right-leaning libertarian who follows Hobbes and Locke versus your left-leaning libertarian, libertarian who follows Rousseau. And, and they're all bad, really, when you get down to it in terms of the fonts and the principles. And so, and, and I say that as a basically de uh, default anarchist because my anti-authoritarianism and the things we see in the state are so bad. I'm just like, we just need a stopgap to get away from the state for a while until it can recover some sanity. But uh, beside any of that consideration, this whole idea of a marketplace of ideas, there's truth. That's the end of the day. I, at the end of the day, it's truth. And we are working for truth. So, for example, in religion, there, there's no there's no marketplace of ideas. There is mm -hmm. that which has been defined formally that all Catholics must accept. There is that which is generally held and, and has the consensus of theologians, which is what the Salamancans called de fide non definita. And then there is stuff that isn't the free opinion, you know, the questions on grace or in these other areas that haven't been defined in the church. And there, there's a there's a wide opening where you can hold this opinion or that opinion or what have you. When you get from the natural law and philosophy and other and political philosophy and other questions, um, you know, there's various moral principles that all impact it. And so the, there is. So, for example, let's just get to the real. We live in an American society, you know, all the four of us here, where. You have, um, we're divorced from the, the traditional principles of Christendom. The whole notion of Christendom doesn't exist. It's always been this kind of pluralist, you know, pan-religious thing under the aegis of a super religion that is the American state. That is always what it has been. And the thing is, whenever you say separation of church and state, you're basically saying the state is over the church. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. there, there, there is no in-between on that. The state will become the religion, and the state will assume more religious quality. Just like when, when you pull all these videos from libs of TikTok or whatever that you're putting up there, and you see these crazy people doing these, these, these nonsensical things that are off of these religious sepulchrum to the COVID narrative. And, and, and now you're seeing what the state health officials have said is now the dictates of the new priestly caste, essentially. And that's come down that you must accept or else you're a Jew and tax collector and, and anathema to you. And then that's essentially what's happened in society. So really, when you get down to it, um, you can't get away from the fact that there, there is no such thing as a marketplace of ideas, really. There's yeah. a truth. And you need to convict the truth. So in natural sciences, the whole point of science as such is there is a truth, there is a true understanding of the principle we're trying to understand. Mm -hmm. And we're going to show these experiments, and we're going to demonstrate that it seems to work in this way. And we're going to get closer and closer to the approximation of what truly happens. And if you have evidence that shows that it doesn't work that way, we need to see that too, because we need to factor, factor that in and refine our understanding of the thing. But the problem, part of the problem is science has taken on the language of mathematics. When you say the word proof, proof is a mathematical term. It is not a scientific term. And that's what most people don't understand because most people don't deal with philosophy of science or some of these overarching principles that 
I mean, a proof in mathematics is that in, in the vacuum, two plus two equals four or whatever other principles you're going to deduce in mathematics when you get all the way up to calculus and all these very complicated, you know, systems of math that are, that are definitely beyond me, honestly. And then you get to science and science is observing the world we're seeing. It's just like the relationship of economics to math. Economics is a social science. It is not a physical science. It is not a hard science. You're seeing the relations of things. The same thing is true in so many other areas. So in science, you don't see a proof the way you see it in mathematics. You see a mm -hmm. relation. And that seems to explain what we see. Because frankly, we could go back to Aristotle's doctrine of the elements in the second book of the physics. And we could take that and we could explain all the things we see. But it is not as elegant an understanding as what modern physics gives us because of the refinement and the experiments and the ways in which they've understood how matter works, how gravity works, how all these other things work. And so Aristotle's you know, understanding of the elements is more or less superseded. It's not that it didn't explain what we saw, it's that it just didn't do it as well as what we see today. But that still doesn't prove that what we see today is the end all and be all and nothing ever will come to surpass that and show that yeah. it's better. That's part of the yeah. baggage of the 19th century, which wanted to say every, because that's where the atheism came up in the 19th century British equation. Oh, there's no God. We understand what's better than anybody else has ever understood it and will ever understand it. Physics is a dead science. We understand everything in the whole universe. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the way it works. That's not the way science works. Um, Brother Martin, when I hear somebody say that we need to have, you know, libertarianism in the marketplace of ideas and that we need freedom of speech, um, what I'm what I hear people saying is that People have a right to be wrong. Brother Martin, do you have a right to be wrong? No. Uh, earlier, you mentioned John Stuart Mills, and I think this kind of sums it up. Also, um, with what Ryan just said, John Stuart Mills was famous for his ethical system called utilitarianism. Utilitarianism is, is essentially a, a rephrasing of the majority rules in the sense that whatever actions or consequences make the most amount of people happy are good. And there's some sort of point system um, regarding certain actions. Like if killing this person makes the majority of people happy, well, then it's technically ethical. Um, as, a, as opposed to um, whether it's right or gone, nobody, nobody being happy, but it's the right thing to do. Uh, it's all about people pleasing. Um, so that's, that's the ethical system from which or that John Stuart Mill's taught. So you apply that also in the marketplace of ideas. And, and again, it's the same underlying principle of, of the majority rules. Um, it has nothing to do with, with truth. It has everything to do with what fallen human nature wants and finds satisfactory to certain people in, in, in that age. Um, so li libertarianism, I mean, I'm just hearing, hearing Ryan talk, it's really just a summary of modern philosophy. Um, mm -hmm. Some people try to, to um, relate it back to St. Thomas Aquinas or, or Aristotle. Oh, yeah, but I... But doesn't it just sound cool to say, oh, well, we should abolish OSHA or we should abolish the Department of Education or Department of Energy or whatever it is? Doesn't, it just, can, doesn't that just sound like it has – that is such boomer red meat right there. That's like, vote for me. I want to delete these, <laughs> these departments that you hate that Jimmy Carter started. I'm the anti-Carter because that's libertarian. I mean it just – it's so – I don't know. It's gimmicky almost. It, you can do all of that without being a libertarian. You can do that just being Catholic. I mean, if something doesn't work, break it. I mean, delete it. Um, <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't need OSHA. Uh, Chewy, what are you doing? <laughs> Chewy, Chewy's trying to take over. 
Uh, let me let me uh, let me get uh, James into the conversation very quickly. James, I uh, like ten years ago, and I, I read this book by Ratzinger. It was before he was Pope Benedict, so it was written by Ratzinger, and he essentially was just arguing that that there is a demo- that there is a marketplace of ideas within theology, within religions, and that the Catholics win because we are the best. That, but that but that basically they should all compete, and and once they once you just put them all on on the level playing field and let them compete. Catholics win hands down because we are just awesome. Like, is that how it is? Do we just need to have better marketing to make <laughs> converts? Yeah. Is that what we need? <laughs> That's actually the opposite. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you bring up that quote because it reminds me of something completely opposite that uh, Pius the 11th said. Basically, I, I mean, what you're asking is w- w- what's what's living in this world if we don't have uh, free competition of ideas, or, or if we don't have a market, you know, uh, sorry, free competition of forces, you know, it, or, you know, market of ideas. Basically, uh, Pius XI said something like, well, you know, you can't have uh, a unity of human society, you know, you can't have that foundation in opposition to classes. So why, why would you also want to think of having society that has, that doesn't have the ordering, the right ordering of economic life? You know, so why would you want to leave that when you want to order uh, society? Why would you want to leave that to to something that you can either uh, choose to do good or do evil? It says it's impossible, and so you can't have uh, from this source, uh, you know, a poison spring will will rise, and that's kind of what we're seeing today, where people have now put themselves in situations where. They're looking at, uh, so, well, you know, and I don't want to mention any names, but they're prominent figures, you know, uh, who I, who, you know, I somewhat respect who are saying, well, you know, just leave it to the market of ideas, you know, and it'll self-correct, it'll, it'll correct course down the line. And um, it's just unfortunate because if you're thinking of a Christendom or a society that reflects rightly what the social order should be, natural social order, it should be a society where there are just rules and regulations that lead to the common good. You know, you can't have, uh, you know, this this explosion of market ideas that lead people to create uh, situations where uh, there is uh, uh, injustice, you know, giving a, a footing, you know. So that's kind of where we are today. And Ratzinger is off base, you know, basically, because he's standing now in opposition to someone like Pius, Pius XI or, you know, Pope, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and all the other popes uh, before him. Yeah, no, I mean we can't. I mean, I I, I hear very few priests even Ryan utter the uh, phrase "false religion." I mean, we and and you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. in In the good old USSA that where where we live, these this collection of states, these United States, we used to say before Lincoln. We really are a Protestant empire. We really are a Puritan empire. That's the name of Charles Coulomb's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's an apt title. We are an empire founded on and by and animated with false religions. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a cacophony of them. Cacophony, that's a word. Um, and and I, I don't know how anyone could credibly make the argument that somehow inadvertently by accident uh, 
we are a Catholic nation. I mean, we've been we've been oppressing Catholics since the beginning. It's like our national pastime. It's the last acceptable bias in these United States is against Catholics. Catholics are being persecuted in our military. I can attest to that, and and other and elsewhere. Um, and so, you know, how I don't know how anyone can say that we're well. We stumbled across it. We're accidentally Catholic. <laughs> is it possible to be accidentally Catholic? No, it isn't. It really. Isn't. <laughs> It's possible to say that, well, there's certain principles that have been the current of Western civilization that Catholics abused and Protestants abused, etc. And you can go in that direction and talk about these kind of can general natural law principles that everyone's grasped. But outside of that, no, I mean, the United States has not been a Catholic nation. The United States is a nation that has had goods and bads. It's had a place that the, the, the advantage of the United States uh, until the 20th century was that you had frontier. And you and whenever government got too oppressive, you could just keep going west. And you could keep going west. And eventually that caught up in the 20th century where now every state, everything from sea to shining sea, as it were, was now a state and now under the American government. And so there was no more frontier. There's nowhere to get away from anymore. Except you get into these kind of wilderness areas for so long and now you can't even get to those because they're too damn expensive because people moving out of california and new york are buying up all the land um so on and so forth and so but there's it's like we don't hate america because good things have been done here catholics have done good things here catholics have advanced the faith here uh, it's not an america hating thing it's just a, a recognition of reality that america yeah. As a polity, as a state, has always was a historically Protestant nation that gave way to liberal values in the early 20th century. Uh, yeah. Liberal values that accommodate very well with communism, I might add. I mean, you get to Woodrow Wilson, and Woodrow Wilson sitting there in the debates uh, at Versailles at the end of the World War One, and he's sitting there declaring Christ, you know, the Prince of Peace, gave no means for his people on earth to have peace. But we here at Versailles shall have the principles of peace. And then you have Clemenceau, the premier of the French Republic, that is an atheist and kind of mocking the whole thing. It's like, wow, all these Christians are saying <laughs> that, that God couldn't give peace to his people. And, and but but people are going to give it of themselves. What a ridiculous God that is. And I really can't blame Clemenceau if that's his only exposure to religion for thinking that, frankly, because that's the that's the reality, the arrogance of modern man. And mm-hmm. America, America is not a Catholic country; it's not this base, perfect, wonderful place. Good things have been done here. Make no 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 mistake about that. Good things have been done here, but that doesn't mean the whole of it is good. Just like in Europe, just like anywhere else. Yeah, no, I mean, and and look, you're, you're right. Um, I, I was just reading this this really well written book. It was published. I uh, I want to say this one was published in Vegas. Uh, I'm always interested on in where these books come from and who publishes them. But it was about uh, Saint Junipero Serra and his life and the 17 California missions that he that he founded on foot. And um, and you're right. I mean, we've done incredible things. We have we have incredible saints. We have a lot of Catholic heritage to be proud of. But in comparison to Christendom, James, <laughs> it's a little bit lacking here in these United States. I'm not. I would not want to of put course. myself up against yeah. any European nation when it comes to the defense of the faith. For goodness, of course, sake. of course. And, and you know, uh, our Lord is never going to leave us orphans. He said this much himself. 
And so when you have a new state rising up, you know, effect, effectively, you're going to have uh, true heroes of the faith saying, you know what, I'm going to cross over here and evangelize. And that's that's what happened in America. And so you have people in the new world, you know, bringing the faith to, to, to people who needed it. And um, I mean, but we've always been uh, sort of, you know, in a situation of defending who we are as Catholics in the United States. I mean, why would someone like John Carroll, the first Archbishop of Baltimore, why would he be making platitudes, you know, to, to you know, in the 19th, or I guess, um, late 18th, uh, you know, early 19th century, why would he, would he be making platitudes to the ruling class at the time to accept him, you know, if this weren't the case? Why was there a know-nothing, a know-nothing party if this yeah. weren't the case? So we've always been on the outside, always wanting to be accepted, um, and people like John Carroll, for instance, who was a, a luminary, you know, of his time, uh, thought the way we would get accepted was to be basically uh, able to compromise at their level. And of course, that's always been the story of the Catholics in or the Catholic Church in the United States. It's a story of compromise, except for huge figures, of course, uh, like uh, uh, John the Dagger Hughes, you know, mm -hmm. who in his time was a true legend who knew what the agenda was and was trying to steer us in the right direction. But uh, there've been too few people like him. Um, and um, it's just, it's just what it is. And like Ryan said, you know, of course we love being here. Of course we, this is my adoptive country. I love this place. I love being here. I love having a family here. Um, yeah. But the reality is, is has been set. You know, we are always going to be fighting against uh, the forces who seek to do evil. And we have to accept that so we, we can actually triumph the right way, you know. So we don't accept compromise. And the compromise that we're being told to accept is, well, you know, uh, just let the, uh, the forces, the competition of forces, you know, fight out. Let's let the market of ideas sort itself out. And that's my, yeah. that, my friends, is a compromise. Yeah. You know, yeah. If I've ever seen one at all. Yeah. It is. Uh, that's, a, that's a great discussion. I loved it. We have to move forward though and there are two videos i want to review and then one prediction i want everybody to make so let's get to the videos the first is uh last week we sort of bashed ted cruz bash him over the head bash him over the skull because he referred to the events of the epiphany in 2020 as a terrorist attack a violent terrorist attack and then the next day he came with his tail between his legs onto tucker carlson and said jk wasn't me I, it was a poor word choice. Here's Ted Cruz questioning the FBI about that same day, the Epiphany 2020. I want to turn to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents any FBI or agents confidential or informants confidential actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents any or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, Ms. who is Ray Epps? Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, 
I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot of well, people who are understandably very concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered, and there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. The next day, the next day, on January 6th, Mr. Epps is seen whispering to a person, and five seconds later, five seconds after he's whispering to a person, that same person begins to forcibly tear down the barricades. Did Mr. Epps urge them to tear down the barricades? Sir, similar to the other answers, I cannot answer that. Shortly thereafter, the FBI put out a public post listing, seeking information on individuals connected with violent crimes on January 6th. Among those individuals in the bottom there is Mr. Epps. The FBI publicly asked for information, identifying, offering cash rewards leading to information, leading to, for information leading to the arrest. This was posted and then sometime later, magically, Mr. Epps disappeared from the public posting. According to public records, Mr. Epps has not been charged with anything. No one's explained why a person videoed urging people to go to the Capitol, a person whose conduct was so suspect the crowd believed he was a Fed, would magically disappear from the list of people the FBI was looking at. Ms. Sandburn, a lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, and this is, a, this is not an ordinary law enforcement question, this is a question of a public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agent actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? Not to my knowledge, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, look, I mean, every politician is a mixed bag, Ryan. Uh, there's none There's none that are truly Catholic, truly traditional, truly good, truly on our side, truly uncompromised, truly independent. That being said, the very cynical version of Mike is thinking to himself, okay, this is just Cruz throwing some red meat out to us, acting like he's on our side, throwing something to, you know, throwing a bone to everyone. This is just more disinformation. Uh, this is... This is what this is designed to do is to uh, is to foment the commonly held opinion, commonly held amongst people I hang out with anyway, that the events of the epiphany were not were not spontaneous. Uh, like, remember when Hillary Clinton said that the attacks on September 11th uh, in Benghazi were spontaneous? Yeah, I spontaneously have a mortar in my backpack. Um, <laughs> that this was a spontaneous thing uh, at the Capitol building. And, uh, you know, anyway, so my, my point is, is this just more of them messing with our brains? Because my brain is tired of being me I'm tired, dude. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, <clears throat> my My view of it is that essentially... We are being messed with 
Cruz is coming out there with, you know, oh, did this happen? Did this happen? Are you sure the FBI had nothing to do with it? Throwing that bone out there, even though nothing is ever going to happen to the FBI. And that's been for generations where the FBI has put up innocent people in prison. The FBI has invented fake forensics that we know now don't actually work in real life. For example, hair samples, um, DNA samples, all these things are not actually a, a science the way CSI would have you believe. They've convicted people on the basis they come to the jury with hair samples. When in reality, hair sampling cannot tell the difference between a human hair and a dog hair. Uh, yet they come and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was his sample, his hair for absolute certain, or his DNA for absolute certain, even though our DNA match only came up with like a 60% match. and But it absolutely had to be that person that's in the defendant box. So therefore, trust what you see on NBC and CSI and whatever uh, you know, crime drama garbage that you're watching. Believe that. So this is the same type of thing, really. It's gaslighting the public. Uh, whether Cruz is actually involved in terms of like an actual conspirator versus he's playing the game for his constituents versus he really is interested in the truth, I don't know. And I can't answer that. Uh, I hope so. I would like to believe there's somebody that's actually interested in the truth. But um, given what Cruz said, like given his payons to the, the narrative on January 6th, um, I have a hard time believing he's actually on our side. So really, when you get down to it, um, there's so many things about that event that show it was a fed up. It really was a fed up. And there were a mm-hmm. handful of Capitol Police that weren't in the know, and people weren't in the know, so they fought with them. So they, oh, good, now we're going to get our, our views so we can show this is, this is a real insurrection because you show a few guys fighting with police here and there, and then you got your fake... Uh, like, what's her name? Babbitt? I can't remember her first name. Mm-hmm. That Ashley. whole thing was fake. Yeah, Ashley Babbitt. The whole thing was fake. And there, there's a couple of videos just showing how there's people, they're like, it, it's a total planned op that just didn't go off well. And they ran with it anyway. Um, I mean, the fact that there's a guy standing in the path of a Capitol Hill guy, you know, with his, with his gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even pull my gun because I know I don't pull a gun. I'm wearing one right now. I did not pull it out to demonstrate because I know I do not pull a gun unless I mean to shoot somebody. This Capitol mm-hmm. Hill police officer who's better trained than I am, frankly, pulls a gun with a guy standing in his path. He's like, dude, get out of the way. Well, well I'm trying to get a shot here. Hold on a minute. He was like, okay. It's like what? a picture. What? <laughs> real life. I'm sorry. I'm a gun owner. I know how to handle guns. I do not mess around with guns. You're telling me a Capitol police officer is going to say, okay. Well, the guy says, wait a minute, I got to get a shot. Um, I'm sorry, this is all BS. James, the production value on these things has really taken a nosedive. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had, I mean, the Gulf of Tonkin was pretty spectacular. 9-11 was pretty spectacular. I mean, you can't fake that. Uh, the events of the Epiphany in 2020, the production value is very lacking. I, are, we, are, we, is, are budgets really that tight? <laughs> you know what? After so many years of doing something like this, they've just really realized that they're on a time crunch. They got to get they got to get people, more people, uh, <laughs> focused on this narrative that they're just throwing it out there, and they know it's not perfect. They know, oh, you know what? We have our liberal hacks who are everywhere. We have those people 
who are um, unable to think for themselves. You know, it's like, uh, what was that term in 2028? You know, uh, non-person, uh, uh, NPC, you know, we have people out there who are on the web. You know, they're going to run with it. And when they run with it, even though we have errors in production and everything else, you know, that's going to be put under the rug. No one's going to mention it. My mention it for half a second, it'll, it'll be gone, right? And so what, what do we see? Whenever a story is, is corrected in public, no one cares about it. They care about the initial reports. So right, right at the very beginning, when everything was happening, I said, this is a big psyop, you know, and I got yelled out on, you know, uh, at Twitter for even saying it was a psyop. Oh, yeah. Like these, oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Racist. It was racist. Right, exactly. exactly. How could you, know, you but, say that, you racist Nigerian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. A big it's true. It's true. I, I, <laughs> I talked with with Skojek about it because he came yeah. out and he did a he did a whole podcast about how you know Americans yeah. need to come together and all this stuff and this you know right. Trump people are 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 wacko are wackos, and that actually may be true. Uh, but now we know we have all the evidence. Let's like oh anyway. I can I I shouldn't share this story online. <laughs> I probably shouldn't I shouldn't do it. But you're gonna do it anyway. But the Negroni is the Negroni's helping. It's helping me make the right decision, right, brother? <laughs> so, what did you call me? <laughs> Negroni, it's an Italian drink. I said Negroni. Oh, Oops, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got a phone call on like January 3rd or 4th from, from a guy that I barely remember knowing in college who ended up being like military intelligence and then whatever, whatever. And he calls me and he says, hey, I want you to come to Washington, D.C. I see that you have this big podcast and I want you to come to D.C. and cover it. And I'm like, yeah, but the epiphany is a big day for my family, so I'm not just going to like drop everything and leave in two days and fly out there to cover this this rally, right? And first of all, a I don't know how the guy got my phone number. B he goes, well, I you know I do personal security detail for really important people, uh, such as uh, General Flynn, such as uh, what's her, what's your name, Sydney something Powell, the the attorney or whatever. He goes, yo, I know these people. I've been to the White House and, you know, and, and, and I really think, I really think you need to be there in DC. I'll pay for your ticket. And I was like, this is sketch. This is sketch level 1000. Uh, haven't talked to you in 15 years since college. Don't know how you got my number. Don't know why you want me there. And uh, thanks, but no thanks. This is the first time I've ever saying this online. This actually happened. This happened. It's Q-level stuff. There was a guy I was talking to the night before on January 5th. And he's like, oh, yeah, tomorrow is going to be this great day. We're going we're gonna to challenge this election. And I just said to him, uh, whatever's going to happen tomorrow, it's not going to be good. Trust me. Yeah. He didn't believe me because he was all in the QAnon weird verse. Uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. I mean, and, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. It's like right. I saw it planned up coming. It's like that's obviously what they're going to do. They've been setting that up. Yeah, and right. if an idiot like me can see that, why can't you see that with all your supposed Q intelligence? And they couldn't. I, I, and that's exactly what happened. I was about to be number sixteen on on Ted Cruz's poster board right there. <laughs> right. I was about to be on that list. Just wandered into the Capitol just because other people were going in, and they wandered in, and the FBI came in and arrested them. I know a guy who wasn't even there on January sixth. 
but was you know generally like uh, doing podcasts on Q subjects. And yeah. the FBI came and asked him what his involvement with January 6th was. And they're like, well, yeah, we're told to do this, even though we know you weren't there, but we still have to come in and ask you. And the guy lives in Michigan. He wasn't even there. Wow. And they, the FBI still came to his house. Right. So here's something interesting. So if there's ever something going on where it's being advertised as a huge demonstration uh, around the Capitol building in D.C. and the weeks leading up to it, there are no progressive voices, you know, calling for the cancellation of this thing or trying to disrupt the whole thing. You know, it's a setup, you know, because they, they're waiting for you to take the bait. They, they know you're coming in and they're waiting for you to take the bait. So everything leading up to it was super uh, suspicious. And yeah. so, yeah, it makes sense. By that, the uh, way, by the way, perfect segue james into the march for life no one is no one is questioning the march for life anymore no one is trying to shut it down the march for life is going to continue on because the march for life requires the jab right yeah you're going to be you can't go march for babies unless you sacrifice a baby into your arm to stand for babies right yeah well, when the uh, the head of the pro life office of the USCCB succumbs to all that nonsense as well, I mean, you really got no fight. I mean, uh, they're all in cahoots. They all they all work together uh, with the the mainstream neocon. Um, I don't know pseudo Catholicism in a sense. In a sense, um, I'll say what's really on my mind. Today's the, the the feast day of Saint Hilary of Poitiers. He's a doctor of the church. He's a bishop. In the time of the Arian crisis, he was exiled from his see, and he wrote a lot of treatises on the, tri- on the Trinity, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that really hit me hard, and this is what I read this morning from Dom Gary and Jay, and it hit me so hard because it, it's exactly what our, our, our church is going through today, and, and it pertains so much to, to, to the pro-life movement and to the, the USCCB as an institution that dialogues with other uh, institutions, with the government, et cetera. St. Hilary of Portier was saying, before our time, before the 300s, it was actually better for Christians under, under, under the persecution of Decius, under the persecution of Nero. It was better for Christians than it, than it was in his time in the 300s. Why? Because the persecutions that the Christians were enduring was that of blood. They would get their heads chopped off. They would get fed to the beasts. They would get uh, tied to the stake and burned alive. And St. Hilary of Poitiers said that was better than what they were enduring in the time in his own times. Why? Because that kind of persecution gained for those martyrs heaven. But what was the persecution that they were going through in, in the time of uh, St. Hilary of Poitiers, which was the same time as St. Augustine, which was the same time as, you know, 300s, 400s? He said, this persecution is actually when the government is actually offering us peace, is actually offering us some sort of settlement deal. Is actually offering us some sort of stability in in the government to where, you know, they'll give us the ability to not be persecuted. They'll give us um, comfort in exchange for our principles, in exchange for our faith. And so this is is, is a in a sense a, a silent, a soft persecution in the sense that it doesn't come with a sword, it doesn't come with 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 fire, it doesn't come with wild beasts, but instead it compromises. It, it, it comes with a compromise, and what do we compromise? Our very faith. Mm-hmm. And so uh, St. Hilary Portier said, this is a worse persecution than what Nero inflicted on the Christians because now the, the persecution is making everybody Aryan. 
And so this is the same, the same thing with, with, with the March for Life. It's making everybody compromise on the principles mm-hmm. of our faith uh, just to go and party. I've been to the March for Life. I, I took... Uh, oh, yeah. Was, There's nothing I, pro-life I, about the March for Life. It, 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 it's... I mean, it, it's... It may have started as that in the 1970s, you know, at, at, in, in its very infant stage. They're trying to do good things, but if, what effect is it actually having? Um, mm-hmm. All these years later, um, and we're still waiting for a Supreme Court decision with supposedly all these conservative justices in the court. And if ACB rules the majority and Kavanaugh and all them, and, and they really overturn Roe v. Wade, all right, I'll eat my hat and say I was wrong about that. Even though it's not really going to change a whole lot, but you know, but yeah. that's not going to happen, in my opinion. It is going to continue. Uh, they, they will uphold it for whatever reason, because overturning precedent for a jurist is a lot worse than uh, trying to trailblaze blaze this new path. Unless you're going to the left, and then it's always okay. But that that's the reality. And so the March for Life is one of those things, like, we're going to put all our trust in the Supreme Court overturning this thing. Um, mm-hmm. Congress could have solved this issue 30 years ago. 40 years ago, just taking the jurisdiction out of the Supreme Court. And, and we, we, you know, dis libertarians a lot here. And, and uh, granted, I don't agree with their principles generally, but Ron Paul had a plan for solving the abortion problem. And whatever we want to say about Ron Paul, he was not a follower of Rothbard. He was against abortion. He was a medical doctor. He's like, there's no reason for abortion. It is absolutely wrong in every case as a Protestant Christian and Ron Paul's is like, hey, just Congress just takes it out of the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. They can do that. Do done. It, it, it's over. Uh, but nobody wanted to do that. And even when George uh, W. Bush was elected, it's like, well, we got to worry about the war on terror. And then 2004 comes, he gets reelected. And Trent Lott is pushing George W. Bush, baby Bush, to do something about this. And he's like, well, we're, we're going to work on health care. Yeah. <laughs> he was not interested in dealing with abortion because that's the carrot they're going to keep holding over your heads to keep you voting harder and never solve it. You know what's, you know what's interesting? Let me just chime in here uh, a little bit of an antidote. So um, it was 2009. I was in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life. And uh, mm-hmm. for me, this is when everything kind of fell apart. I was watching uh, all these youngsters showing up and everyone else around them. And uh, you know, Obama had just gotten elected. And of course, uh, people were basically not okay with speaking their mind because you kind of realize for the first time at the pro-life movement after eight years of George W. Bush, uh, there was now this figure who was basically untouchable. And so you had people at at the march who were actually, uh, the, the day before was the, had been the inauguration of that president, right? So people had come in for both the inauguration and the March for Life. Can you believe that? Wow. And that's why <laughs> I, real, I realized the, we don't have an identity. People don't know who they are. People yeah. are walking around with figures of superstars in their head, and they're thinking this president is pro-life, and they've come to to kind of hang around for the, for, for the inauguration, and then the next day – come hang out with pro-lifers. I mean, they're, they're, that was very telling. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, a lot of it's theater and, and people yeah. are, I think, I think people are becoming more um, awake to the theater. 
shall we say? I mean, it, you know, it's it's sort of like how you know. Remember the early days of the internet and like when the when the pop up was created and you know and and spam. No. And, <laughs> I said no. Shame on you, brother. Shame on you. Oh my goodness. (laughs) When the pop up was created, I mean, that's too far, man. Let me just say Nellie Gray was the founder of the March for Life. She was a trad, actually. She loved the Latin mass, loved the tradition, and, and she was always fighting for that. She really believed in this whole thing, and she really believed. The March for Life was really making a difference. And in certain respects, it did. In certain respects, it didn't. But I just wanted to kind of put that out there that, you know, at the beginning, there were a lot of people at the core of that thing that really believed it was going to be helpful, even though I think in the long run, it's not actually going to do a whole lot because the media ignores it. I mean, you get uh, one year I was there and there were at least 750,000 people and the media reported as a few thousand people that showed up. And of course, and then they do the opposite when there's like this women's march. It's like oh, thousands upon thousands, but thousands of women showing up. And it's like 500 women at best, if you're lucky. <sighs> I've seen crowds of hundreds of thousands of people uh, in Europe and in America. And I've seen crowds of hundreds And what that, right. I know the difference between the two, even if I don't have the exact numbers between the two. So, Brother, I'm cutting you off. Anyway, but so I just had to put that in brother's there. brother's gonna get borked from the show. <laughs> oh, it's Chewy. Chewy's had too much to drink. Brother Chewy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but okay. So uh, let's just do let's just do this. We'll skip the other video. Uh, Pro life now, I think, has become its own religion. It has. But I I I think, especially within the bogus ordo, that you're either like. A liberal Catholic or you're a pro-life Catholic. That's it. And mm-hmm. I think a, a lot to a large degree, a lot of bogus ordo theology is just, oh, I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I, I really kind of hate it. I despise it. I'm very pro-life. I'm very mm-hmm. pro-life. I think if a woman gets raped and conceives a child, a child should be born. Mm-hmm. I'm like extremist pro-life. But I'm not. I don't. I don't. I don't call myself pro-life because I hate that title. There's something like, again, going back to the Ratzinger book. There's something gimmicky. There's something gimmicky about this whole pro-life. Thing. Are you pro-life? Are you pro-life? Well, yeah. I'm not. I'm against murder. I'm against right. murder. Yes, of course I am. You know what I mean? But it's like that being the litmus test. That being the one issue. That being the one thing. Right. That Catholic bishops are supposed to have the strength to stand up on. They won't stand up on blasphemy, sacrilege, profanation of holy days. They won't stand up for the family. They won't stand up for the faith or tradition. They won't stand up for the liturgy. But they're a really good bishop because, hey, he's pro-life. Strickland's pro-life. He's a good bishop, right? Well, let's even take the the pro-life movement when it comes to, like, say, an abortion doctor. Uh, you get an abortion doctor, the weight of what they've done finally weighs on them. And they get out of it. And they're like, hey, I got I got to get out of this. And they go to some Protestant church or some Catholic church. And then they get the pro-life movement wants to make them this big speaker at this big event. And that's the absolute last thing a person like that needs. A person like that needs time to do penance, to do healing, to do all the things that necessary before they give any kind of witness, just like a convert from a, Protestant religion, you know, they, they really shouldn't be out there talking about stuff 
for the first couple of years until they, they've gotten a sense of what it means to be Catholic. Uh, the same thing for an abortion doctor that has, you know, or, or somebody who used to work in a Planned Parenthood clinic or whatever that has gotten out of it. And then now they're, they need healing. And because they, they, they realize the weight of what they've done is weighing them down and they need to get out of that. They need to, to, to mm-hmm. sit before the throne of God in adoration, mm-hmm. in a visit of the church or whatever. And, and just, just do penance and, and pray and, 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 and they, cause they can be forgiven, but they need that psychologically. And generally what happens is when these people convert the probably, Hey, we need you speaking at this event to push the political stuff. And, and that's not what those people need. Those people need healing because they, they believed in this false thing and they, they murdered a whole bunch of babies. And then they come to that realization they say, whoa, wait a minute. I did all this evil, horrible yeah. stuff. I murdered all these babies. I need, what do they need? They need healing. That's what they need. Not to be the next speaker at some political event in order to, to bring up those numbers and get everyone out there voting harder. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 think, it, I think it's a thing. And I think so, one of the commenters in the live chat, uh, Brother Martin, said something to the effect of... Uh, you know, being pro-life is now a cover for having to avoid the homo issue. That's probably true. Yeah, There's some brassy mm, of that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know because uh, I will say this. Nauman was mentioned in the chat. Archbishop Nauman, and and I know for a fact that um, he's he's stood up more or less in, on some homo issues in his own diocese, in the sense that there was a, a lesbian couple that wanted to have their child baptized. Um, and of course, and one of the conditions for, for baptism of the child is, is to ensure that they're going to be raised in the Catholic faith, uh, which may or may not also pertain to a certain blogger. But anyway, um, he <laughs> basically stood b- behind his priest who, who denied the child baptism, saying, listen, to baptize your child means that certain canonical obligations will be placed on your child. And if your child is not going to be raised in the Catholic faith, your child will stand no chance in actually fulfilling those canonical obligations. And so they will be even sinning even more um, they would as, as a non-baptized person. This, this, this is not fair to your child to baptize them if you don't in- intentionally, if you don't intend to raise them in the Catholic faith. Furthermore, you're going to create the dissonance of uh, him, her seeing um, the two, parent one and parent two at home and then learning in their Catholic school and the, to the Catholic faith that this is, this is mortally sinful. And, and so you'll, you'll be causing such a, a problem in a, in a young, impressionable mind. Um, that does, that from that perspective, it doesn't seem fair, but also it, it, isn't, it isn't just to the, to the person, uh, to the child. And so he got a lot of flack from the media for that, obviously, by not baptizing the, the child of a lesbian couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, in one sense, that's, that's kind of the second one they, that if you really, if they really feel brave, they'll stand up on, um, but will they denounce James Martin from the pulpit? Will they say anything bad about him, um, pr- promoting no, LGBT as, as something, you know, it's, 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 it's like the things, the things that are easy, the things, the things that seem easy, you know, all you need to do is send a tweet, <laughs> you know, I mean, all, all, all Strickland needs to do is send a tweet naming James Martin. All Strickland needs to do is send a tweet saying that Matthew, Father Matthew Schneider LC is wrong about the, the jab. And, 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 and these things are actually, it's crazy that these things actually require courage. Like you, yeah. you think about it, it, these are the easiest things to do. But no, it's these things actually, for, for our generation of bishops, these things actually require courage. It's insane. 
Right. And you know what's fascinating is uh, on, on that issue itself, a lot of people, and this has beca- became a DC thing, right? So uh, you have wayward politician, and uh, they're talked to, uh, you know, you have a bishop from their diocese back home. You know, this politician is in DC, and the, 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 uh, the bishop says, well, you know, uh, we can't do anything because he's he's operating out of D.C. And so the uh, or vice versa, you know, the, the archbishop of D.C. says, well, we can't do anything because, you know, he's not my, you know, uh, he's not in my diocese. You know, that has to go back to his home diocese. And so this whole back and forth punting of uh, something that needs to be done. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, and so you have now the, the question of jurisdiction. Well, you know, just because someone is saying something wayward uh, or you know controversial, I can't do anything because they're they're not part of my diocese. You know, they're not you know in, in my diocese, like so I can't speak out. But do you understand when somebody says something like that, it goes around the world. It's heard everywhere, right? So this is the age we're living in. This these things have to be corrected. You know. Yeah. So that's 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 a huge mystery. What, what is happening? All these prominent voices who are supposed to be. Uh, good on this issue or that that issue, they don't say anything because they're sort of putting off the, the responsibility of what it means to be truly a, a bishop. I know, and it's so many of them, so many of the grinder miters get a pass because oh well, he's pro life, so he's a good bishop. Like that's the only, that's literally the only criterion by which these guys are judged. And it's so easy, especially like in Nauman's case, to just pretend to be pro life. Um, that you can get away with it. Okay, so we got man, we got so many things to do today. <laughs> I have a new thing. Uh, where's my new thing here, Brandon? Oh yes, the unpopular opinion segment is coming up. <laughs> we have to hey, do unpopular opinion. Hold on, bug me up. I know it's what we got. So this, <laughs> is designed, this is designed for the solo. Look, we do unpopular opinions. Uh, but before we get to that, we do have to do the grifter segment. <laughs> that is great that is great uh so yeah why don't, why don't we grift first and then we'll do unpops that way people will have to hang out they have to actually watch the grifting to get to the unpop it's like a carrot at the end it's like a it's like a rotten carrot at the end that you're like why don't wait for that ryan are you prepared to grift it looks like you're you're drinking so um Man, I wish it was a whiskey distiller so I could grift some kind of whiskey, but I'm not. So um, I'm going to grift because of uh, Adrian, who is in the chat, uh, Guadalupe Radio Network, Adrian Fonze. Uh, I'm going to grift Dominican books tonight. So I have uh, As the Morning Star, which is a very short, nice little biography on uh, St. Dominic. Um, Dominican Life which is about how to live as a third-order Dominican. St. Dominic's successor, the life of Blessed Jordan of Saxony, who is, um, so if you you don't know anything about him, A, you should buy the book. B, uh, he is one of these guys that without him, the Dominican order would not exist because St. Dominic has the idea and the notion of it all, and Jordan is the one who organized it all and created the, what, what becomes the corpus, the Dominican order, and likewise uh, gets Blessed Herman of de Roman uh, to, to establish the Dominican liturgy. And then, of course, later down the line, St. Albert the Great, uh, mm-hmm. the first universal doctor, the teacher of St. Thomas Aquinas, who mm-hmm. establishes uh, so much of what is, uh, you know, 
in terms of like the scholarship the Dominican order he basically gives the world St. Thomas. Without him, there would not have been St. Thomas. Um, so many things that be said about St. Albert and so, so on and so forth. Uh, and, and likewise, if you have, so my editors are generally lay Franciscans. And so that's why there's a preponderance of Franciscan books. Uh, John Capistrano, Life of St. Francis, the, the, the book I have on all the Franciscan saints, the Seraphic Order. Walden Light, and it goes on to you know, St. Charles of Sezzi, all these Franciscans and whatnot. And that's because my a lot of my editors are Franciscans. So if you have a book that's out of copyright, especially if it's pre-1920, what are we, where, 2022? So if it's pre-1926 you know, at this point, um, and it, it's about the Dominicans, it's about a Dominican saint, and I ain't got it, and nobody's publishing it, let me know. Because I'd like to get more mm -hmm. Dominican books out there, as well as other religious orders, Carmelite, Oratorian, Augustinian uh, <laughs> stuff on the Norbertian. <laughs> Martin's about to mention. I was going to get to that. But um, if you have anything on those saints, I want to get more works on the religious orders out. Uh, Barnabites, uh, you name it, all these different religious orders in the history of the church. People need to know about them, and so and I want to get those works out there. I'm not given. I'm actually more Benedictine in my spirituality. And I've been trying to you know, find more monastic type of things to put out just for that reason. But, um, you know, every order in the church deserves to have its day and have its, mm -hmm. its stuff out there. So if you've got it or if you know of it, especially if it's pre-1926, because it's absolutely out of copyright. Uh, if it's after that, if it's an American work, let me know, because then, that, then that's researchable and I can find the copyright. If it's foreign after 1926, uh I'm probably going to wait on that until it goes public domain, for sure. But uh, j just because legal stuff is a nightmare, uh, that, that type of thing. So, but, but the religious orders of the church, they need to be out there. All the different ones that have existed, anything, even an order that ceased to exist, uh, or an order that today is out to lunch, like, say, the Passionists, for example. Passionists were awesome back in the day, and now there's, like, nothing on them. And the, the ones that are out there are completely modernist. And there's nothing good to say really about whatever's left of them. So any of the old stuff, let's get that out there. And so if you've got it and you've got a recommendation, let me know. And I've got editors that'll start work, work, work on the reprint and get it up to snuff and I'll put it out there. That's awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic, Ryan. And uh, I hope members of the audience do take that seriously and say, hey, I really would like to see this in print. Um, Brother Martin. Info at mediatrexpress.org if you're going to email. Info at mediatrexpress.org. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to get old for a while. <laughs> we need to put some music to it, though. Yeah, that's uh, true. Money, 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 money. Show me the money. First of all, for those that are not on the inside, in the inside joke, they're like, what is this? I would like to personally thank all the donors, all the premium subscribers of Church Militant for your dollars going to that organization. Because it is only, it is only through your underwriting do we have things like this. <laughs> there are full-time employees who are paid to make these things 
and they <laughs> wouldn't work there without your money. So keep donating to Church Militant. You can be the best Catholic you can be. Serving Catholics. It, it takes down. it takes serving Catholics to a new level. Serving Catholics subpoenas. Uh, okay. Anyway, Brother Martin. Hey, how are you? Thank you guys so much. We finally ran out of our first batch of 100 uh, Augustinian calendars. Um, so we've ordered a new batch. If you keep ordering them, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep uh, sending them. So this is our pre-1955 Augustinian calendar because the only proffers we have for our divine office are pre-55, and we have pre-55 pre uh, altar missiles as well. So it's all the Augustinian proffers uh, prior to the Second Vatican Council. So being a traditional community, that's what we use. And so I created uh, for our community um, a very practical-looking calendar days of, of, of the Augustinians. Uh, on their proper days. Uh, I noticed I have uh, a, a planner journal put out by Tan um, that's both traditional and Novus Ordo um, because I use it to write mass intentions. And um, they have as particular that for the saint that they ex- expose or they promote on, for January, um, Blessed Veronica of Binasco, which is a, uh, she was a member of the Order of St. Augustine. For us, it's on uh, the Feast of the, uh, on the 19th of January. Um, so we have all our Augustinian saints on here, um, and all of the fast days, uh, that were pre-55, all of the octaves that were deleted, um, in the 1962 calendar, because the 1962 calendar also changed from the pre-55, um, regarding sometimes Ember's days, octaves, octave Corpus Christi, octave of the Sacred Heart, um, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it's unique in that sense from the 62, in that you can see even what came, um, in the Catholic Church before, before, before the council, before 1962, um, and in particular for, for our community. So if you go to uh, com slash shop, um, you can see, you, you can find a place to, to purchase our calendar. Also, if you want to go to giving, you can, you can see a little bit more of, of how we survive as a community. We, we survive solely off of the generosity of our benefactors, um, precisely to, to free ourselves to study and to, and to preach the gospel. Because, of course, if we get jobs in schools or whatever else, and we're very limited on time to providing uh, the truth mm-hmm. for, for, for you guys, um, and so we, we, we live off of what we get, and that's it. Um, so it's kind of a, an extreme version of poverty, but, hey, it's what, it's what we need in these times. So um, check out our website at oblatesofsantaugustin.com. That was a, that was a healthy grift. Nice. <laughs> first of all, I, I need to vouch for the fact that I have one of these calendars on my fridge, and I love it. James, what are you reading these days? Yeah, I'm always reading, aren't I? Um, here's something that might be interesting. might pique the uh, interest of uh, our viewers. It's a great book, and Brother might recognize this. Oh, yes, I very it, much do. Yeah, yeah. I read it before so dinner is, every day. Right, right, exactly. So this is called The Book of Witness, a Roman Augustinian Meteorology, and it's a very good book. You can find this book uh, on Brother's website. Is that correct? Yeah, if you go to oblateofsantaugustin.com slash shop, you can find a link. Uh, to lulu.com which is where father john actually sells this book he he organized it he wrote it right so this is father john's uh father john's book and you can kind of see inside this is a really really uh uh very well put together book it has for 365 days of the year various uh stories of the heroic accounts of uh various uh figures in the church who uh lived uh as true soldiers of christ so uh, i recommend this for Everybody, uh, this is a great book, and pick it up. Book of Witnesses, Roman Augustinian Martyrology by Father John Melnick. 
Excellent. I love it. I love that grift. Um, okay. So uh, last week I read a tweet to you that I thought you needed to hear. And it was a uh, church militant on Twitter publicly gloating about the fact that uh, I have uh, don't have enough money to defend myself in court against them. And they're really excited about that. This week, I have another tweet to reveal to you. And uh, basically what they're saying is that, oh, no, Mike has hired the biggest, most expensive law firm in all of Michigan, Bodeman. Why did he hire Bodeman? Well, I'll tell you why I hired Bodeman, because they have defeated Church Militant time and time again, and now they're afraid. So which is it, Christine? Am I too poor to defend myself against you, or am I the big spending liberal uh, just paying my way to steamroll you in court? I don't know which one it is. I can't keep her lies straight in my mind, but... If you would be so kind, it is true. I would like to defeat them. And so you can remember this website, givesendgo.com slash defeat CMTV. I do try to keep the rundown free from the daily drama that Karen over at uh, Church Militant seems to love. I mean, she broke the Christmas truce. We had a Christmas truce going, people. We were supposed to leave each other alone. And she couldn't help herself. Givesendgo.com slash defeat CMTV. Any dollar you give does go to that fancy law firm, Bowdoin, that is undefeated against Church Militant and their frivolous legal activities. So that would be so cool. I don't know if you guys saw. I don't know if you guys saw their, their tweets from those last days, but they put out some videos, some clips of their evening news after their premiere against the, the Wyoming. Carmelites went out, and I found it very disgusting. One of the things they, they, they said was basically that they believe that there's a huge uh, infestation of sexual perverts or whatever in traditional Catholicism, and that they intend to go after absolutely basically everybody in, in, in the traditional Catholic communities, et cetera, et cetera. So we know, based from this tweet alone, that their eyes are on traditional Catholic communities, traditional Catholic priests, et cetera, and they're going to go with and spill all their innuendos, whatever, with, with not sufficient proof, but all their innuendos to smear the, the reputations of, of traditional Catholic priests and, and religious. To me, this is absolutely disgusting. They've obviously declared war against traditional Catholicism. It is. And it, simple. It's, it's a declaration important. of war, and they're not even veiling it. Like, they're not even no. like saying, like, oh, yeah, it's just onesies and twosies here and there, whatever. No, it's literally a declaration of war. And when you call them out on it, when you say, hey, why are you doing this? They say, oh, no, we have employees that go to the Latin Mouse. We love the Latin Mouse. <laughs> whatever. I mean, if you go back to Mike's first video about the blackmail, this is important. Yeah. And everybody, I mean, scroll the marquee again of the of Gifts and Go because this is important. Go back and look at the text messages of, uh, and emails of Christine Niles and Michael Voris. Mike actually has a very strong case. You can look at it for yourself and decide for yourself this case is real. This, is, this isn't something superfluous. This isn't something just to get them to back off. This is real. And so this is the reason why you need to, to donate to this particular fund is because this, this, this particular case um, can, can, can get them to actually – well, can cut them down to size really because – they can't call themselves Catholic, therefore they're automatically secular. They're, their bishop for business are calling themselves Catholic, therefore they're automatically a secular news organization, but they keep calling themselves a Catholic news organization. They can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing is, too, is like I gave an interview to them probably about two months before they went after you. 
uh, on uh, moral theology in this very place where I'm doing uh, this now. And I was like, well, you know, I, I didn't necessarily agree with everything they've done in the past, but it's like, hey, this information needs to get out there, so let's do it. And Boris was stand it back to, to deal with in terms of, um, because obviously I was on his good side at the time, because I was getting information he wants, in terms of moral theology and St. Alphonsus and other things, but looking at, looking back at it, I almost wish I didn't do it, just because of the, it, it didn't really become clear to me until the more recent months of how much innuendo they spin into things in order to grift and, and to scandal monger and so many things that they do. And, and I, I look at that um, you know, how they affect even friends of mine, like Taylor Marshall, Jeff Gassman, other people, and then now you, and, and like now the Wyoming Carmelites, and I've got friends over there, too, and they, they basically said that the person of interest in their expose, as it, it were, was essentially somebody who didn't want to work and got booted out. Now, he has mm -hmm. a couple of claims that deserve to be investigated in terms of, like, a physical assault and something else. And certainly those should be investigated. But outside of that, the guy's basic claim is um, they made me work and how horrible that is because he's got some fanciful notion of religious life. And it's the same thing now. Like they, they basically are at war with everybody that doesn't do what they say you have to do. And now they've got this old magisterium of priests that they're vetting that are their alternative magisterium. It's like, yeah, I don't what, know what they really mean by that. What's the deal with that, actually? No, I mean, can, can we can we unpack that for a second? The church militant mm -hmm. is now saying that they have 12 priests. They're not going to tell you who these people are. They're right. the core magisterium. It's a counter magisterium. It's the true magisterium, they say. They have 150 other voting members. Some of them are clerics. I think some of them are lay people. We don't get to know who those people are either. Uh, Voris is personally going to be doing all the vetting for these people. I mean, I mean, the, we can we can we can point on on two hands off the top of our heads collectively uh, how bad their vetting has been for people that they've yes. propped up who have later turned out to be turds. Yes. Uh, and so now we're gonna now we're supposed to believe that these twelve core people that they have a properly vetted them. B we don't get to know who they are. C what the hell is a counter magisterium or a parallel magisterium? But the thing is, the magisterium of the church is visible. It is the pope in the bishops in communion with him. That is the magisterium of the church. And whatever papal dicasteries that the Pope has determined are going to diffuse various teachings at a lower level that, that he's, he's determined. That's the magisterium. And there's the ordinary magisterium and the solemn magisterium. And the, 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 the latter, the solemn magisterium being when the Pope declares by a solemn judgment that X must be held by all Catholics and it's irreformable and, and and they feed it, right? And then there's the ordinary universal magisterium where the Pope teaches, and if it accords with what's always and everywhere been believed, then it gains a certain level of fallibility. And otherwise, it should have a certain level of, at least of sequium, unless there's some really grave reason for which you'll, you'll suspend your judgment from that. And we could talk all we want about Francis or whatever else, et cetera. So when, when uh, they come out and say, we've got our magisterium of priests that we've vetted, it's like, well, all right, um, there's priests, and then there's priests. There are priests that are, are experts in sacred doctrine that have studied for years upon years upon years that can give you a theological answer on things. And then there's priests. There's priests that they went to seminary, and they learned a little bit, and they learned a little bit more afterwards, and so on and so forth. 
that doesn't mean that they're they're in any authority in the church by themselves, except in as much as they accord with what the church has always in their words and beliefs. So it's like, what are you talking about when you say we want this parallel magisterium? Um, it, it sounds schismatic to me, honestly. Um, the, the SSPX does not say it has a parallel magisterium. The SSPX does not say we have our parallel canonical courts or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just keeping the tradition and say what you will about the SSPX, bad or good. Um, they do not claim to have a parallel magisterium. So I have to look at this and I'm just like, what the heck are they even trying to pretend to do? Um, when, when you get into so many other things too, where it's basically hearsay that is now, you know, that, that makes the matter of the report that they'll continue to go back to and say, you see, we already proved it in a report, even though the report is actually hearsay and not backed mm-hmm. up by anything. It's like, like the recent fellow from the Carmelites is like, he has a couple of issues that might actually be sufficient reason for canonical visitation. As far as I know, the diocese in Wyoming is making a canonical visitation on some of those points. And if, if what he says is true, and that's actually vindicated, that there are actually serious problems on those points, and maybe that only goes to one brother or another. But then they're like the whole attack on it. It's a traditional monastery, and they're going mm-hmm. after it as if mm-hmm. the whole thing is a problem. And like everyone else, like convicting Father Jackson in public a- as if he was already guilty, when even the, the federal affidavit doesn't actually show any, any forensic connection between Father Jackson and the acts he's accused of, and, and so on and so forth. And you have to go back and look at, wait a minute, all the things they've accused even of Asurda Dice before, are they actually serious? Are they real? I have to question everything they've ever done at this point. Believe me, yeah. when they wrote a hit piece on me and I saw all of the facts and how they skewed the facts, I can't believe a single thing they say anymore. Right. Yeah. Because I, I mean, Absolutely. I'm the expert on my own story, on my own life. Like I know everything. Right. I, I can, I can expose my. You know, I was like, uh, everything that I wrote is like, this is absolutely silly. They, they contradicted themselves even in their own article about you within like five lines. They, they said like, I was not clear about my uh, canonical status, even though I gave you, besides the the fact that I gave you specific candidates to go look up, and then four four paragraphs later, I was absolutely clear about the fact that I wasn't approved by a bishop. It's like, I mean, come on, guys. Which which one is it here? Well, well I was it, clear. It, I was not clear. It's it's the same error that most modernists fall into, and most liberals, most communists, which is you know it's it's it all comes down to like basic basic logical rules, principles of logic, and one of which is the principle of non contradiction. A thing cannot be and not be simultaneously at the same time. You can't say that something is true and false at the same time. You can't say that Brother Martin was clear and unclear at the same time. You can't say that I am too poor to defend myself in court, but I'm I'm overspending on this luxurious, um, you know, law firm that's going to whoop your butt um, at the same time. You know, so uh, it's it's it, they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. It's a, a colloquial way of saying it, but I think I, I agree with Ryan. And, and to be honest, I don't even I never even paid attention to church mills. I don't care what they say. I never read them. I knew they were anti trad for from from years ago. And um, never been a subscriber, never given them a dime, don't even click their links. And so I didn't pay attention. Now that I'm paying attention, now that it's up close and personal, now that I've seen it uh, for myself, they contradict themselves every single day. Yeah. Every single day. And it's all innuendo and none of it is hard facts. And you're just right. like, oh, man, okay, this guy didn't like to work. But, you know, to be honest, 
We have group showers in the military. You know, in ROTC programs, we talk to each other in our underwear all the time. When we live in dorms. I mean, so, yeah, exactly. So, so, so there are certain things like, okay, well, yeah, to an outsider, uh, that may be weird. But if you have a membership to a gym, you know, certain things are just like, oh, wow, kind of eye-opening. Like, all right. Michael Boris probably has a membership to a gym. so he. Well, we know who he follows on YouTube, and it's a bunch of ripped dudes. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to go there, guys. That's gross. I'm not trying to go there. Get your minds out of the gutter. This is a rundown. to do the unpop i know <laughs> we're still live let's do them now baby <laughs> are we really <laughs> we are we're yeah, still live, we are. <laughs> we're live are. on youtube okay. and we have to do the unpopular opinions ryan said he's not prepped so i'll skip you i'll, I'll show mercy ryan oh, uh, man, okay. Martin for oh, the good. unpopular opinion this week <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know, I was thinking on Monday and Tuesday, I was like, man, I wish I wish the run was on Monday and Tuesday because I have the perfect unpopular, unpopular opinions on Monday and Tuesday. And the week goes by, I don't write them down, and then Friday comes down, like, man, what's my unpopular opinion? Um, I think pretty much I, I voiced it tonight on, regarding Church Militant. I've been trying to stay, stay silent on it because, you know, um, they are arrogant. They do make millions of dollars, and they do sue Catholics simply to to squash them, to shut them up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this is essentially my unpopular opinion, was, was that they are going after tradition, just as the Vatican is going after tradition. Uh, they are Bergolian. They are Bergolianists, Bergolianites, however you want to say it. Um, they are not friends of the tradition, no more than anybody who goes to the tradition just for the smells and bells. Um, I think last year they sold a, a liturgical calendar, but it was of the Novus Ordo. Um, they don't want to promote the traditional faith. They don't want to tr- promote traditional liturgical life. If anything, they just want to promote lace, ad orientum, simple aesthetical things. Um, they don't have 
the ability to call themselves Catholic by the, by their bishop and in the forms of an apostolate of, of teaching the faith and teaching in the name of the church. Um, so they're no better than the people that they're actually attacking, like the Oblates of St. Augustine or the Carmelites in Wyoming, et cetera, et cetera. Um, or even the Society of St. Pius X. The Society of St. Pius X has more faculties and more jurisdiction from the church than Church Milton has to, to teach the faith. Um, so they're, they're at the bottom of the totem pole, but they try to put themselves up because they have money. And so that's what it's about for them is money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't like, in a sense, causing drama, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I know they're, they're drama mongers, and so they're probably going to take a clip of this and, and make some sort of drama out of it. Um, but that's the reality. I, I care more about you guys that are listening who actually want the faith, you know, the remnant, um, who actually will, will listen to, to what we have to say because they know that we have everything to, we have nothing to lose in a sense, or we're risking losing everything by simply saying this, um, and getting sued by these people that, that sue, sue Catholics. The first thing they do is they, they didn't even talk to Mike. They sued him. You know that uh, completely contrary to scripture. I mean, even even uh, Cardinal Burke said something about um, lawsuits regarding it. I had to find it on the internet. It was several years ago, back in 2015 or something, or 14, um, about Catholics suing Catholics. It, it just shouldn't happen. And if they felt like that, that was the last resort, then that's because that's their own that's their own personal faith. If they can't trust scripture, they can't. They, they they're they're not they're not practicing their faith. So um, that's my own two cents. Uh, regarding that is 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 simply that um, church militant is arrogant, too big for their britches. Uh, they constantly contradict themselves. Um, they're they're willing to to destroy people's reputations based on innuendo, um, and they really shouldn't have a voice at all. Mm. All right. Uh, since Ryan stepped away, James, we will jump to you for your unpopular opinion. Oh wow. Okay. So my unpopular opinion. Um, I mean, folks, you you heard it here. We were fight, fighting this from the very beginning. Uh, first, it was the uh, opossums, and then it was the pizza. Now we found out just this week that Mike isn't Catholic; he doesn't believe in God. I mean, what kind of atheist? <laughs> I know, right? What, what, what kind of atheist or, or I mean, Satanist would not pray before they eat? I mean, who, who does that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so my popular opinion is. Uh, I mean, you, you take a morsel of toast, you, you, you take a, a bite of a cookie, say, say a little something, you know, uh, not necessarily to give thanks, but to also, uh, you know, show. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, this, is all stemming, <laughs> this is all stemming from a Twitter poll. This is all stemming from a Twitter poll because I'm like, OK, right. I was told that, like, there's this French thing and maybe this Roman thing where. You know, you come into the you come into the parlor, James, and you have yeah, a cheese yeah. tray before dinner, and maybe a glass of wine or maybe some other sort of sort of cocktail, yeah. and then you sit down and then you pray before the meal is served to you, and that it's it's very European. It happens all the time. We've sure. all been in this situation, though, sure. James. We've sure. all been in the yeah, parish I've hall, been. which I'm I've thankful been. my parish doesn't have a parish hall, uh, but we've all been in the parish hall, and like there's food. And everyone's hungry, and everyone's standing around, and they're like, I'm afraid to eat this cube of cheese because there's a cassock somewhere who's going to bless it. And if I eat it, then I'm (laughs) going to go to hell because I'm not Catholic. (laughs) So I did a poll, and there are are dozens of us. There are dozens. (laughs) Dozens is right. It's a really – 
But seriously, it's a really tricky situation. I mean, what do you do when you're walking by, you have a tray of hors d'oeuvres walking by you and you want to reach out and grab and you're thinking, oh, wow, the priest is not in here yet. He's coming in just before the main course and I'm I'm in a funk and there's some sort of uh, purgatory here, you know? So, um, or I should say limbo, you know, some sort of limbo here. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I've always just kind of, to make myself feel better about everything, I just either will stay away from eating the hors d'oeuvres until I can get a, you know, a blessing from the priest, or I just bless it myself, and then I go, and then when everyone else is saying the general uh, benediction, I just pray along again for the second time. You know, that's what I've always done. So, but yeah, but I, I just think, you know, uh, you, you know, will just, not eat. Yeah. You're not going to eat a piece of like, like, like the the, the, the lady toast. with the tray. Yeah. With the bacon no, wrapped I, shrimp is walking no, by you. No, no, no. And you're no, no, like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I will, in fact, do one of these silent prayers and oh, then grab, okay, okay. grab and eat. And then when the priest does come in, then I do a general blessing with everybody else, you know. Uh, so I, I, bless, I bless it twice, basically. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So James's unpopular opinion is that I'm an atheist. All right. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got me up there. Now you want me to do something. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Here we go. <laughs> How much trouble can I get in this week? Let's see. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, not more than me. <laughs> uh, the basic thing I was going to say is that there's a lot of trads that want to get into theology. And they read a book, they read a book that's in English, they have no training in Latin, they have no training in, in theology or theological principles, and and then they want to argue on Facebook or on Twitter, like, they're, they're the greatest theologians that ever were, they're going to argue this point to the death. And the, what I'm going to say is that you are not a theologian. I'm sorry. You don't <laughs> now, I'm not a theologian. I do know Latin, but I am not a theologian. So we'll put that out there. I'm not trying to square a little corner for myself and act like I'm the only person that could possibly do that. That's not the case at all. But the theologians in the day, they knew Latin fluently at the very bar minimum. And if they weren't French, they knew French. And they knew, you know, they, they read, you know, journals and writings in other languages. They, they had studied a tremendous amount of the fathers, of the medievals, of the Baroque theologians. And they were in a position to talk about the principles of theology. 99.9999% of trads are not in a position to do anything near what theologians pre-Vatican II were able to do. And that includes me, by the way. Um, and so really, a, a lot of trads like to rush in where angels fear to tread on discussions when really they're not really equipped for anything more than keeping the faith, Keeping their families faithful, reading the catechism, you know, keeping you know the, the basic principles. What 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 uh, is de fide, which you have to believe as a Catholic mm -hmm. to be saved. And so, but people like to tread in to these very complicated discussions, whether it's on grace or on whether the Pope can become a heretic, or whether and I don't want to judge anyone on either side of that for the moment. It just they're more complicated than you think they are. And you go, mm -hmm. go through, there's like uh, De Suspectus Heresae. It's an 18th century manual on how the church proceeds against heretics. It's about 800 pages of canonical uh, practice, precedent, 
and discussion about how you deal with heretics. It's not as simple as saying, yeah, they said something heretical, so therefore they're not really in their office, whether they're a bishop or pope or whatever. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the church's theology is a very complicated, theology is a science. That means it has a technical language, it has a received wisdom about it, versus the virtue of religion, which requires you to know what the church has decreed in its councils, and by solemn judgments of the Pope, say the Immaculate Conception, right? You know various other things that have been formally decided that way, and that mm-hmm. that are handed down in your catechisms of the Catechism of the Council of Trent, um, Bellarmine's Catechism, Canisius' Catechism, Baltimore Catechism, whatever. Um, you've got all those there, and to be a good Catholic, that's really all you need. You don't need to be a theologian. I don't need to be a theologian, so I don't pretend. I don't run around pretending I'm a theologian. But I see something that I've read in the theological literature, and I'll relate something, and then there'll always be some trad out there who thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't know Latin, he doesn't know the tradition, he doesn't know the canon law, and he's going to reject what I've said out of hand, even though I'm just relating what other people that are smarter than I am have said. And I'm not even talking about the Corpriam stuff or anything else. Just I've seen it in sacraments, I've seen it in other discussions, Look, if you want to do theology, there's a very simple path for you. Learn Latin, read the Fathers, read Aquinas, read the commentators on Aquinas, read Baroque theology, read Bellarmine, read all these other sources, whether I put them into English or not. Read them, John of St. Thomas, etc. And then realize that you are standing on the shoulders of giants and that you are, are fairly inconsequential to the whole history of theology. Mm-hmm. And then make your advance the tradition uh don't you know come to it without knowing latin without knowing at the very least french you can kind of limp along with french with some things but without you know without studying the tradition really closely don't rush in where angels fear to tread and declare yourself to be the greatest theologian that ever was so no twitter theologians most people who try to be so are inept. Honestly. Yeah. That's why I don't even pretend yeah. to be one <laughs> myself, because I know That's better. Pretty, That's a pretty good one. Uh, my unpopular opinion this week is about the impending doom, the Ash Wednesday Massacre. That's what they're calling it. It's coming. It's headed our way. That's what uh, Dr. Anthony Stein at Return to Tradition is reporting, as well as others. There are rumors, rumors swirling from sources in the leakiest of leaky ships, Roma. And uh, it does seem credible at this point, and I wouldn't be surprised if on Ash Wednesday, uh, Francis the Merciful uh, demonstrates his mercy by further suppressing the Latin Mass and ordering the closure of the former Ecclesia Dei seminaries and other draconian measures, my unpopular opinion is that, A, most trads will not be prepared for this. It will be taken by surprise, uh, and they will fall into precipitated emotions about it. And B, I think because most of us will be, and I include myself, will be, uh, precipitated by this event, we will thus our our reason will be obscured by our participated uh, by our emotions, and we won't be able to think clearly about it, and we won't be able to blame ourselves or look ourselves in the mirror and say, "The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away." Blessed be God, uh, because at the end of the day, we get the leaders we deserve, 
we get the masses that we deserve. We get the access to sacraments that we deserve. Um, and I think that uh, I think that many of us, my yours truly included, can spend some more time in prayer, some more time in adoration, some more time in reflecting on how have I personally been the cause of this chastisement? What have I personally done to lead to this conclusion? And I think too few of us end up doing that. I know no, no one at Church Militant does it. Um, but I think that all of us really do need to take the time to look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm the reason for two men in white. You know, my other uh, unpopular opinion was going to be, hey, 2022 is so weird. 2022 is so weird. You have two Pope Michaels and you have two <laughs> men in white in Rome. <laughs> And it's 2022, like so many twos. What is with the twos? <laughs> That's a good one. That's oh, good man, one. we got to end this thing. Yeah. <laughs>